This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, engineering specialists for the global energy sectors. Decades of hands-on marine experience have given them deep industry insight and first-hand understanding of challenges faced on the back deck. Every MDL system is designed with ultimate portability in mind to optimise transit, speed up mobilisations and minimise idle times because time really is money in the energy business. If you've been looking for a flex lay partner who can tailor a solution to your requirements, look no further than MaritimeDevelopments.com. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 22 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week, it's Gavin Baxter. Gavin, how's it going? Yep, very well, thank you. I'm very glad to be back. Feels like we're kind of entering into a Claudio Ranieri tinkerman thing with people jumping in and out of the team on a game-to-game basis, but uh, glad to be back. Very proud of the interview we did with Rachel Corsi last week. Who'd have thought we'd be speaking to the Scotland captain one week and speaking to Andy Murray the next week. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got you've got national heroes on here and I'm rocking up out of nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, listen, Graham Steele takes a well-earned breather this week, but never fear, making his ABZFP debut this week, hailing from the media behemoth that is what culture. It's Andy Murray. Andy, welcome to the show. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, lads. It's uh, like I said uh, before we hit record, it's nice to cover a sport that isn't scripted for a change, but uh, in some ways it's just as much of a pantomime as professional wrestling. So here we go. And let's be honest, who could have scripted the Dawn season so far this year? Aye, aye. It's all over the place and it was all over the place again on, on the weekend. Absolutely. And look, to kick things off, we'll take a look back over the Dawn's win in Perth, over the tractor riding, hammer throwing, anti-football, Craig Bryson's styling St. Johnston, which made it three wins on the spin for Stephen Glass's Showtime Reds. I promise you that's going to be the last wrestling pun I tried to do on the show tonight. <laughs> we'll also take a regular look over the women's team after their victory at Hamilton in SWPL1. And we'll cast our eye over our loanies in our regular loan watch feature. And with no game to look forward to this week, we thought it was time to lower the mood after three wins on the bounce. And in true end-of-year fashion... We bring you a list, the ABZFP Worst Dawn's Eleven, as voted for by you, the ABZFP Universe. There is one more wrestling pun, it turns out. (laughs) They never never end. (laughs) But first, St Johnston nil, Aberdeen won the 11th of December 2021, the SPFL Premiership, McDermott Park, and manager Stephen Glass kept faith with the same starting eleven for the third game in a row, with the only notable change being the inclusion of Jack McKenzie, back on the bench in place of Niall McGinn. And in miserable conditions in Perth, the Dons, still in their 4-2-3-1 shape of recent weeks, got off to a lively start, Watkins and Jet linking well in the opening minutes, only for Jet's low cross to be blocked. A slip by Lewis Ferguson let St. Stretton McCrory blocking a shot from Kane before Bryson then smashed a shot well over the bar from 20 yards after a half-cleared corner. Dons were dominating possession and playing some nice stuff on a horrible-looking pitch. A sweeping Dons move from one end of the pitch to the other saw Johnny Hayes' cross cause chaos in the Saints' box and McCart somehow managed to nudge the ball past the post 
for a corner. Another haze cross, this time lofted towards the back, was met well by Jett, and his header was well stopped by Clark. And the Dons had St. Johnson chasing shadows at this point, but still had little to show in the way of an end product. A couple of minutes later, Ferguson's superb header from a King Ojo cross came back off the near post, and the teams went in at break all level. It was Aberdeen who had the first sight of goal in the second half. Watkins receiving the ball after good interplay by Hayes and Hedges, but Watkins' efforts sailed over. Sean Rooney coming close for St. Johnson on 55 minutes, a long-range effort testing Joe Lewis, who tipped wide. And at this point, the game began to ebb and flow from end to end. Jet with a lovely through ball to Watkins, but his toe-poked effort was weak and straight at Clark with the goal at his mercy. E2 Vertanen replaced Glenn Middleton on 62 minutes for the home side and appeared to make it his duty to attempt to ruffle the feathers of Don's captain, Scott Brown. Big mistake, young man. Aberdeen were fortunate shortly after. Kane's header from Ali Crawford cross smacked off the post with Lewis beating all ends up. The Dons responded by withdrawing a tiring jet for Teddy Jenks as the game began to bog down into a niggly affair with St. Johnston content to smash the ball long for Vertanen and Kane. But on 83 minutes, the breakthrough arrived. A King Ojo free kick was lofted into the box. The ball dropped to Jenks, who controlled magnificently before firing a low effort into the bottom corner. The referee and his assistants, completely unsighted for an apparent handball, but fuck it, after the run of refereeing decisions we've had this season, we'll take that one every day of the week. And that was it. Aberdeen saw out the remaining 10 minutes of the game comfortably, which takes us to 10 unbeaten visits to Perth in a row, six wins and four draws. And with results across the country going our way, we moved to within one point of Dungeon United and Motherwell tied in fourth spot and only six behind the champions-elect from Gorgie, Hearts, and third, Gents. Andy, Gav, your thoughts on that one on Saturday? In a lot of ways, it was kind of like Jet the game uh, in that we showed some nice bits and pieces here and there. We were comfortable for the majority of it, but we had a few hairy moments. Uh, and it was very ponderous, which I think sums up probably our most prominent ga- uh, player for most of the game until he was taken off for Jenks, of course. Um, there was some real ugly, bobbly stuff in the middle of the park early on. The, the ball was bouncing around like a pinball machine. Uh, they, they, in particular, were struggling to get anything going. Uh, I think, especially in the first half, anything that they mustered towards our goal either came from somebody falling on their arse, which happened quite a lot for some reason, uh, <laughs> or one of the defenders or midfielders misplacing a pass and then starting a break from it. Um, but I, I didn't really think at any point that we were going to lose it, even for maybe a month or so ago, this kind, this is the exact kind of game we might have lost because St. Johnson were dogged. Um, they were what we expected from them, really. I mean, defensively, they're relatively sound, uh, like numerically. They've got something like the third or the fourth best defence in the league by the numbers, but going forward, there's really nothing there uh, until Mr. Kane popped up later on in the game and, and, uh, and hit the post. But for the most part, I thought we were pretty comfortable. Um, Jet strolled through, was was very good in some places, was quite frustrating in others, uh, that chance in particular. Um, and he was probably the best player of a rather, for me, of a rather dysfunctional front four, at least until Jenks came on. But uh, I didn't ever think we were going to lose it. And sometimes, you know, getting a fortuitous, maybe handball, maybe not, who cares kind of win, uh, is just as satisfying when the game is as brought as that one as getting a 4-0 pump in of someone so uh, very happy to win and uh, yeah I thought we did all right we could easily have lost a few weeks ago but we didn't so who cares yes so I wasn't able to actually watch the game um, myself but I as always when 
when they're playing. I had the notifications on my phone. Was busy all day, but um, I knew the game was going the way it was going, nil-nil, going into the last 10 minutes. And when you see that, uh, you hear that buzz, my automatic go-to in keeping with the season would be that, you know, Craig Bryson's trundled one in from 30 yards somehow and, you know, is currently telling Gary to get it right up him. Um, So for us to get that winning goal, keep a clean sheet in difficult situations, you know, it's another win, three on the bounce. Um, And probably, yeah, probably more satisfying win than the St. Mirren game where we played some great stuff and scored some good goals. It's a game that we've not won really all season. So, yeah, great progress, great result. On to the next one. Yeah, we'll go into a bit of a deep dive about some of the, the performances, etc. just in a minute. But I mean, I thought at the ground, same as yourself, Andy, I thought that I didn't really feel we were ever really properly in any danger losing the game. First half, I thought we actually played some pretty good stuff once we got a handle on the conditions. And there was a couple of times in the first half, especially, that I, I felt that we really got ourselves up the park really, really effective by playing through the lines, playing short, sharp passes, some brave passing as well on that pitch, in particular from our centre-halves. Um, the type of football that I don't think we would have been playing um, this time last year, that would have been a game, I think, under Derek McInnes, where we would have been playing a lot more long balls and being a lot more direct, I think, um, kind of cutting out in the midfield area and probably cutting out the potential errors. There were a couple in the first half with people losing their foot in or slack passes, slack bits of control, mainly because of the conditions, which, which really didn't help matters. Um, but as you guys have both touched on, clean sheet, something we've been struggling with all season, but that's two clean sheets uh, in the last three, which is which is good. And a win that I think even three weeks ago, I, I'm not sure we would have felt we would have got that win last in the last 10 minutes, grinding it out. And the thing that really I was happy with, and I, I spoke about this with somebody today, St. Johnston did what St. Johnston do, and there's no... Like criticism of them, they can they can play the game how they want to do. They've got no duty to entertain me as an Aberdeen fan. They made it niggly. The second half got pretty fraught, and I think the referee was on was on the verge of a couple of times of losing control of the game, and with a couple of tackles were flying in. I I said this a few weeks ago on the podcast. I was concerned that if we did get dragged into a relegation scrap, did we have the players and personalities in our squad who were going to fight, who would scrap, who would stand up to that sort of performance and you know what on Saturday they absolutely did that and that's a huge huge bonus as well I think from from our perspective and as I just touched on in the, in the review with the way results went for us it's been a hell of a good weekend right back in the mix now in terms of potentially looking at a European slot which three four weeks ago would have been an absolute pipe dream yeah yeah um seeing the other results coming over the weekend was a huge relief in that regard as well but yeah, absolutely. It's been quite uh, rewarding to watch the defensive partnership, I think, in particular coming together. Because I think Bates and McCrory still have, you know, the odd moment in them. There was one particular one, uh, a ball was played in the box, somebody hadn't necessarily... Well, it might have been Kane hitting the post, actually. It was, there was a chance either way yeah. where uh, somebody had to come across. And uh, But there was a couple of moments in particular where Bates, like, I think about 10, 15 minutes in, he did this little shimmy between two defenders passed it to Scott Brown, who pirouetted his way out of the way, and they took, yeah. like, three players out of the game between them. It's, like, earlier in the season, watching the various defensive setups we had before we brought Bates in, it was kind of like Glass wants to implement this style where we're playing out of the back, but we don't really have that kind of defender. We don't... I, I, I know, I'm not saying that Ross McCrory's Alessandro Nesta, and if not, which he was... Um, 
But the understanding these two now have seems to compensate for that. They seem to be on the same page more often than not. And now that Bates has come in and he's maybe got match fitness that wasn't there, um, it looks like, you know, for all the criticism he's come in, and rightly so, over previous weeks, uh, they've formed up a good understanding. So to have that backbone there, admittedly not against the most attackingly threatening team in the league, uh, it's been good to watch. And yeah, clean sheet, it's it's... We've been very fragile at points, so that's almost... It's not as good as a win, obviously, but it's very positive. Yeah, I mean, Gav, I don't know if you were coming on the Bates-McCrory thing, but we've been talking about it for a few weeks now in the podcast just about the fact that this partnership looks like it's really developing and coming on leaps and bounds pretty rapidly as well, actually. Well, I think that partnership and as well, just the foundation of the back four is proving us all kind of wrong, where I think a lot of people would have suspected that a back three was the strongest uh, basis for Aberdeen to defend. As it's turned out, this back four is really, really working out for us. And I think it's going to create some, potentially maybe even some dilemmas in terms of selection when both Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie are actually both fit and ready to play. I don't know. I think I would tend to suggest that those two. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying we've kept two clean sheets in the last three and we've probably kept about two in about 25 before that. So Yeah, <laughs> I don't disagree with you on that one at all. I mean, I just think that, King Ojo has done really well at right back. It's not his position. It's what we spoke about, I think, last week, about the versatility that he brings. Always gives you a kind of good six or seven out of ten performance every week. Solid, no matter where he's playing. He's never going to be a nine or a ten out of ten player. He's not that kind of player. But I think a player of his ilk in your squad is almost, you know, his, his value is almost immeasurable for a club like Aberdeen to have somebody who play that number of positions consistently well enough that you can kind of get by is a huge bonus. I think that Johnny Hayes, I really think that his best times are probably beyond him, I think, now. There was a few times on on Saturday that I thought the Johnny Hayes of old would have been firing up that line, really getting beyond Rooney, really taking St. Johnston to the cleaners down that left wing. It didn't really happen as many times as I thought it would. There was a few times where we really had an overlap on that side of the pitch and it just didn't materialise. Um, I think that Mackenzie coming back in will be will, will help with that, hopefully. But... Um, Bates-McCrory thing's interesting because I think, you know, you guys touched on it there. St. Johnston aren't the most threatening of sides. I think they're the lowest goal scorers in the league. Their XG for the for the season is, like, woeful. It's something, something along the lines of 11, I think, for the season. And so, you know, it's hard to kind of judge Bates-McCrory against that. But at the same time, at Celtic Park a couple of weeks ago, I thought Bates-McCrory handled Kyogo pretty well through the centre of the park. It was We were having problems down the, down the wings was where we were really, really struggling. It wasn't through the centre of the park. Same against Livingston, a different kind of striking options you had there. And then Mirren with Brophy and then Main, different types of strikers as well. They're kind of dealing with these pretty well. And I'm so pleased for McCrory because I think that he's really starting to grow into that, that role. And there was a couple of passes that David Bates played out of, mid, out of defense on Saturday that had basically the whole stand sharpen, take a breath stuff. But they were expertly done, absolutely exactly what you were looking for. And if you're going to try and play this way, try to play out from the back, try to break lines you need centre-halves that can play passes like that. It allowed us to turn St. Johnson over so many times, so quickly in the first half, and allowed us to get up the pitch. It was really impressive. In that moment, Andy, you spoke about where he kind of did the, the little shimmy, took two strikers out of the, out the, out the game, knocked into Brown, who did the wee pirouette, and we moved up the park. It was like absolutely ridiculous to watch for an Aberdeen team at the moment. So those two doing really, really well. Let's move on to talk about Jet, because three games in a row for the big man, um, which is 
surprising, I think, to, to a lot of people. Uh, certainly before the Livingston match, I, I think you'd have got long odds on getting three games in a row out of the Jet, considering he hadn't featured for so long. Did well against Livingston, did okay against St Mirren first half. And again, I thought on Saturday, well, as you said, Andy, the game itself was almost an encapsulation of Jet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's the old, he's got all the cliched great feet for a big man stuff coming in, and you know, within the first couple of minutes, he was in the box. Um, he was the one moving the ball forward with at his feet and trying to craft openings. And he, obviously, later on, he had that really good through ball through to Marley Watkins, who just completely scuffed it. Yeah. Um, and certainly in the first half, he was holding it up well. He he did a really good job of kind of getting in between the midfield and their defence. They seemed to, for some reason, their midfield had a real tough time tracking this lad. And it's not like he's the most mobile guy in the universe, but he seemed to just completely fly under the radar, get on the ball constantly, um, to the point where it, it often felt like Ramirez in particular and, and Hedges certainly in the first 20 minutes or so were just not in the game at all. Um, everything was kind of going through Jet. Hayes was getting on the ball on the left and on uh, as well. Um, but he definitely did fall off as the game went on. I think when he had that late chance, that that almost felt like a turning point for him. And uh, you can see him tiring. You can see him slowing down. And he's it, a really interesting player for us to have on the pitch because I do feel that you know the, the positive things he brings to the table are quite clear uh, when you're watching him, and he's very good at recycling the ball in the final third and, and everything else. He's quite good in the air. Um, he had that header, of course. Um, but at the same time, when I think the bulk of your play goes through him, it does sometimes feel quite ponderous, like I said earlier, and a bit slower. Um, there were times, I think, where we could have been a bit more urgent, a bit more a bit more quick thinking with the ball uh, while we were in transition. And and maybe that's a consequence of putting so much play through him. But I think most people uh, watching the game would pinpoint him and go, yes, he was the best player in the first 60 minutes. And to an extent, I was quite surprised when he came off. Um, but then Jenks came on and uh, was a little bit more energetic after he got into the game. And, and it, it, it made a difference. But it, it's an interesting conundrum for sure because, yeah, I mean, those strengths are there. It's just at what point do you need something a bit quicker, maybe a bit less hold-up-y, and uh, it's not always a luxury we have to to bring in these other attacking players. I don't think I'm going to say anything that's not already been said either on this podcast or in many a pub spoken by many an Aberdeen fan. He's incredibly frustrating to watch. I don't know if any of you like have been in like have seen him like up close, but he's absolutely fucking massive. He's gigantic. He, people should just be bouncing off him if they even dare come near him. When he's got the ball at his feet, if you watch, you, you know, type J. Emmanuel Thomas into YouTube, you'll just get highlight reels of unbelievable skill. This guy's probably technically the best player we have by quite some distance. We've all said it. If he applied himself, he wouldn't play for Aberdeen. But he's here. He does seem like quite an infectious character. When you see him on social media, it seems like the players like really like him as well. Yeah. So you can see the benefit from him from both, you know, the playing sense and also just, you know, not to go too Jimmy Caldwood, but, you know, great lad to have about the place. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as Andy said, you know, there's lots of good things like Simbirin. I thought he was good, but then I, when he went off, I started thinking, what did he do well? And it's like, it's a flick here, it's a flick there. And it looks great at the time. And you're like, holy fuck. And then you think, well, but did that really lead to anything as such? So... I think it's nice that he's back. I think it's nice that we have an option with him again because it felt like his career was pretty much done and done and done uh, for a while there. 
I just hope that yeah, we can carry on. I guess the question will be when we come up against teams like, say, Celtic and Rangers or Hibs and Hearts away, are we really thinking about bringing Jet in for, as we say, he's a luxury player? It's an interesting point, that, though, because arguably his best 45 minutes in an Aberdeen shirt was away at Tynecastle earlier in the season, um, where he was effectively unplayable when he made Andy Halliday cry. And this is the thing, he, he could be unplayable every week. But yeah. there's just something there that doesn't quite click, and it's, uh, that, I guess that's the source of frustration for ourselves and especially our uh, our missing host tonight. I think we touched on it last week, though. I think Jet is probably a horses for courses kind of player. I think that in games like St Johnston, in games like Livingston, in games like St Mirren, where you're maybe going to come up against a relatively stuffy backline, a relatively compact defensive midfield block. Jet's really useful because he does play in those gaps between defences and midfield. He makes it difficult for defenders and midfielders to know who should be picking him up. He takes the ball in really well and he attracts. I mean, you you watch the game on Saturday. It's one of these things you, you don't necessarily sometimes see properly on TV or on streams or whatever. You watch how many players get attracted to him and how many players from St. Johnston and St. Men in the week before and Livy the week before that were attracted and sucked into trying to get the ball off him which is nearly an impossible task. It's like one of those, you're like, guys, you actually should just stand off the guy and kind of let him ponder about it. Because if he does that, the whole thing does slow down. If you all kind of commit into him, he's got enough techers to move the ball around pretty quickly <laughs> and suddenly can spring. You know, if, if, if we do that quickly enough, that it does create does create chaos. Um, he can't do it over 90 minutes. That's, that's as plain as day. But I think that in certain games, I think Saturday was a really good example. But I think it'll be interesting to see what happens as you say, Gav, next up is away at Easter Road. There's an argument for the manager to say he sticks with the same 11. It's a winning it's a winning 11. But is Jet really the guy you want in that that game? We know what Hibs will do. We, we, I mean, we know Hibs are, are going through a, a, a Hibsy run at the moment. But you still kind of know what you're going to get out of Hibs. And is Jet really the guy you kind of want in that side for a game like that? I'm not entirely sure. Um, the answer could be the guy who came on and replaced them on Saturday. Uh, and Teddy Jenks, who I thought again came on second game in a row, he's come on and done really well when he's come off the bench, uh, off the bench, adds a bit of energy. Maybe it's useful because you know the the midfielder tired after having to bounce off a jet for 60, 70 minutes. But um, I was really impressed with Teddy Jenks again at the weekend. Fine goal. Has he played himself into the manager's thoughts for a starting berth? I feel that in stark contrast with his um, English compatriot, who is also in loan for a Premiership club. Teddy Jenks has really stepped up and feels like he've realized that he's you know got a chance here to gain some real experience and ultimately a, a, an unsuccessful spell at Aberdeen isn't going to do his career at Brighton any favors so yeah it feels like he's really stepped up his game stepped up his work rate and yeah he's brought a lot to the team and in that more advanced role I'd be more than happy for him to start against Hibs. Yeah likewise um, I think against a team like Hibs it's a wiser move to have somebody who's going to be able to to transition play forward uh, a little bit quicker than Jet for sure and he took his goal really well say what you will about the handball uh it, it was what it was it was a funny way to win because I I one of the greatest things in football objectively is when uh, the other team are absolutely raging uh and they, <laughs> they certainly were they of course had their their penalty shout in the the first half which probably got got them riled up in the first place. I wasn't particularly moved by that. It kind of looked like Chris Kane was indulging in a bit of wrestling himself uh, when he went down. But 
yeah, uh, it's certainly something to consider. I think with Jet, it's not really the way he plays, but because Hibs are so vulnerable at the moment to, to balls in the box, maybe uh, you're thinking about stick it on the big man's head, but, uh, you know, he's better at the, with the ball at his feet anyway. So, yeah, it's certainly something I'd be thinking about. And, yeah, you know, the other guy we have on loan from an English club in midfield uh, doesn't exist to me anymore. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we might come on to him in a minute. Um, I don't think he exists to the manager either, to be fair, anymore. No, I don't think so. Um, the one thing I loved about Saturday's goal was the fact that everybody in the way in could see that that was a blatant handball. And so you're waiting just for it to be blown. And we hit City, like, it's a good finish that, Teddy. But that'll be a free kick, eh? And it's like, oh, fuck, he's given the goal. Because there was a proper, like, delayed reaction in the way in. Because everyone's assuming that's just going to be given. And it's like, shit, he's given it. Fucking next one, go. Um I tell you what, though, the, the, the pitch was terrible at the weekend. And that type of goal just shows you... It's one of these scenarios where we were talking about again uh, last week, I think, or the week before, about our success rate with English Premier League loanees at Aberdeen is fucking appallingly bad. But it just shows you, actually, the, the, the goal from Jenks at the weekend. And the one he scored against Livingston, actually, early in the season, the technique. That's not an easy shot to hit on that type of pitch. Sweet as a nut fantastic finish that's kind of what you're looking for out of these guys when they come up here obviously then they also need to adapt and be able to 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 play with the rough and tumble that is the spfl but that's exactly what you're looking for it's like madison you could just see technique wise he was on a completely different level and obviously madison at least was willing to put himself about a bit and get involved that for me really gives me a lot more hope about teddy jenks for the remainder of the season he start, he looks like he's starting to imply himself I think we should just quickly touch on Longstaff because obviously, Andy, you're based in Newcastle. Do you get any kind of chat out of Newcastle United fans about what's going on with Longstaff up here? Yeah, quite often. Um, like a lot of my friends down here are Newcastle supporters, understandably. And uh, it's a common question. How's he getting on? Why is he not playing? Uh, is it not a farmer's league up there? Yeah, the usual crap you get from English yeah, football yeah. fans uh, in general. But I think, um, you know, the average English football supporter isn't, always particularly well versed on the Scottish League so they assume when a player like Matty Longstaff who's who's had high profile performances for Newcastle in the past scored against Man United twice from like 20-25 yards uh, and whatever else they automatically think he'll walk straight into the team but it's kind of a, a simple answer every time it's just like hey look we got Scott Brown in one position in centre midfield we got Lewis Ferguson on the other uh, it's very difficult for a start for him to get in the team. Plus you got someone like Ojo who's playing right back at the moment, but has certainly leveled up his game this season. Um, and it's a real relatively easy one to explain from that point. I think both long staffs in Newcastle after bright starts have kind of flattered to deceive a bit and they've, they've struggled to maintain their first season form. Like Sean Longstaff was linked to Man United for 25 million not too long ago. And now he's just kind of a nothing footballer and Matt, he's kind of gone the same way, but I think in Newcastle, like a, a lot of hopes for Matty in particular have, have fallen over the past few years. He went basically two seasons or so with barely getting even in the match day squad like he is in Aberdeen now. So it, it looks like an unfortunate decline and it does seem like a relationship that is probably best ending before long because the kid's not going to develop up here. He's not been particularly great when he's been on the pitch and uh, I don't see an avenue for him to get back in the team either. Gav? I think um, we've had more than enough perfectly constructive conversations with Newcastle fans on Twitter <laughs> where uh, we've put our point across, they've put their point across, let's just call it a day and uh, and move on with our lives. 
yeah. On that point, though, there's been some absolutely fucking outrageous takes by some Newcastle United fans on this on this very point, which are just like astonishing. When you're like, guys, I watch him every week. Well, every week, I w- I've watched him when he's been here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not been very good, and just because he's come from Newcastle, and this is what we we see a lot. Guys come up from the English Premier League. Think I don't know if they think themselves as players they're going to cakewalk it. It's going to be a piece of piss. And actually, when they get here, they discover that, okay, maybe the technical levels of the game are not as good, but the intensity, the in-your-face-ness, which I know is not really a word, but never mind, is almost unheralded, I would imagine. I, I just go back to Longstaff when he came on against Dungeon United, and he was like a rabbit in, a head, in the headlights. And it's like, I can see it. And it's interesting. We're going to touch on an English Premier league loney who's made it into our worst 11 later on and we touched on it with next week's guest and i don't want to give that away right now but basically asked like when this guy rocked up were you guys not like well the other players in the squad like what the fuck is this boy like won a competition or something because what we saw as fans was nothing and he was like i tell you what actually in training he had mad mad techers he could do loads of stuff and then you're like well i can kind of understand that because you're not going to get into the academy of this club by being by by not being a technically good footballer but it's when it comes down to in-game situations and actually the pressure and the intensity and everything that's where it just completely falls away from them and you kind of saw that with Longstaff against United. And I think that that was the moment where glass was like i think that's it i i, I don't think this guy's gonna cut it in this league he wants way too much time in the ball. Ain't happening. And I'd, I'd be surprised if he's here beyond beyond January. I think that'd be the best for for everybody. Talking about the midfield, though, um, can we all have a good old laugh about Scott Brown and Ito Vertainen? <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy, I saw you tweeting about this just, I think, during the game. All I have to say is, Ito, if you're going to shoot at the shithouse king, you damn well better not miss, mate. That was a... All-time terrible career move from that oh. lad, wasn't it? New to the league, strolling on off the bench, nil-nil. We can still win this. You went for the throat and you fell on your face. It was as soon as uh, Scott Brown, in a way, like I, I've I've always had an affinity for him and his uh, mastery of the dark arts. Even when he was playing against us, it's, you know, does certain things on the pitch. That it's the classic case of when he plays against you, you hate him. But you know, if you're just watching neutrally, it's 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 good crack. But this guy, he comes on the pitch and it looks like he's he's having a word with Scott Brown as he's coming on. And yeah, it's like he did, yeah. What yeah, what are you doing, mate? Are you wise? And from that moment, it's like it triggered something in Scott Brown who decided there and then that he was gonna go full Scott Brown on everyone. And he was, you know, in this guy's ear and he was buying fouls off people, you know, staying in these little exchanges, standing over the top of people, not letting them get away and, you know, doing everything he could to 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 rile up an already frustrated team and St. Johnston crowd as well. It, it came, must have been only a couple of minutes after the Kane header hit the post yeah. and it, it just seemed like a changing in the mood of the game. Like the, the game may have well drifted away from us after that. And I'm not saying that Scott Brown being a bit of a dick uh, was the turning point, but in terms of entertainment and getting back into it, it certainly was. And this pertaining lad, he's, he, uh, I don't know if he's long for this league after that harrowing character demolition over the course of 30 minutes by the King of Banter. <laughs> it was ultimate. It was nearly like the perfect heel performance, I thought, from Scott Brown in that last 20. <laughs> Absolutely. Like M- MGF to the max was what was going on there. <laughs> like, 
It was just constant. And every time the boy Bertain went near the ball, Brown was there and got his body in the way or bought a foul off him, brought the two of them down together, kept his legs locked on Bertain and hoping for a reaction. The whole gambit was going on. I mean, it was basically the only thing that I was entertained by for the last 25 minutes because all that happened in that period of time was St. Johnson were just shelling the ball up towards Kane and Vertanen. And I was like, this is literally the only thing that's keeping me going right now is watching this because it's just nice to watch it happen for us rather than Scott Brown doing it to us, which was quite nice. Um, but yeah, Vertanen, mate, I, I don't know. He, he'll be checking under his bed or in his wardrobes for the next week, I think, just to see if Scott Brown's there. I think the thing about Scott Brown is that, and we, we learned this from being Aberdeen fans watching us against Celtic when he was captain there. And we watched like, like Ryan Jack try to go toe to toe with him and <laughs> not happening, mate. And like, I loved Graham Shinney. I thought he was an amazing Aberdeen midfielder and he got the better of him once or twice. But yeah. generally speaking, Brown wins these battles. And I think he relishes and absolutely loves it when someone comes on and challenges him. And I bet you, like, the first time this boy Vertanen did something, the St. Johnson fans were all like, yeah. Because it taps into this kind of, like, tribal thing about being yeah. a football fan. You like, you like watching one of your guys take on the, you know, perceived fucking hatchet man of the other team. But with Scott Brown, just the best thing is just not engage him at all, ever. Just play football normally. When you engage him, that, as Andy says, it just triggers something in him. It flicks a switch and... He ain't got a chance, mate. He just ain't got a chance. I, I'm not sure if it did, but I actually genuinely think that Vertain and try to get involved with them actually like turned the game a little bit in our favour. Because to me, it felt like it was just drifting towards a nil-nil. Both teams were kind of, I think, kind of content given the pitch and everything. And it felt as though Brown, like you said, Andy, just kind of stepped up a different level all of a sudden. And it was like, actually, you know what, mate? ain't happening and you're not getting a point off us we're going to win this game and I saw that when we scored as well I don't know if you've seen the celebrations all the players converge on Jenk with the one exception of Scott Brown who makes a beeline towards Vertanen get in it's just that it's clearly just a wee dig <laughs> on the way past and it's like oh mate it's it's tatties for you on the data we have to talk about data because it's an Aberdeen podcast now uh, another good weekend I don't know if we get bonus points for data this season I think we should based on Dave Cormack's performance on the radio earlier in the season. I'm sure he's got uh, a presentation ready to go for the SPL at the end of the season. Hopefully. Uh, fingers crossed. But I actually, when I looked at this, I was actually like, that's really impressive, actually, from our perspective, because I didn't feel that this happened during the game, but dominated possession, 62% to 38 But over double the accurate passes, we had 433 to 194 for St. Johnston, which I think just says everything you need to know, but... I mean, it's not quite getting into Pep Guardiola Barcelona statistic territory there, but I'd like to have a look and see recent St. Johnston Aberdeen matches and McDermott especially and see if we ever came anywhere close to having that number of accurate passes across the piece. First half, there were times, that, like I said earlier on, that I felt like we were really, really comfortable on the ball and actually spraying the ball around quite well and, and picking passes and knocking it about well. And There was one move in particular where we basically moved it from Lewis rolling it out to Johnny Hayes on the left-hand side, went across the back line, up, diagonal back across, and ended up with a cross, which came in. I think it was the one that McCart just kind of put past the post. I don't know how he did it. But it was just a really refreshing bit of play. And I think that anyone out there who is doubting whether or not we are changing our style needs to look at a game like that at the weekend because there's absolutely no way in the last four or five seasons we'd have played like that at McDermott Park, I don't think. It's still a work in progress, but there's definitely a change in there, I think. 
yeah, I agree. And it's uh, it's everywhere across the park as well. Like we've already spoken about the defenders bringing out uh, when McKenzie and, and, and Ramsey are back in the squad. It's good to have that dynamism from fullback um, that, that hasn't always been there uh, with a few exceptions. And in the midfield as well, like, you know, Brown, aside from his mastery of, of shithousery, um, I thought did his usual very economical job uh, at the weekend of moving the ball on and, and making interceptions and and everything else. It's it's quite a well structured team uh, now that we've we've found that core at the back and the front four when it clicks is uh, the best kind of chaos to watch and it's it's fun and it's refreshing and you know at best we're you know we're probably looking at finishing fifth or sixth this season. Who knows? Maybe I'm being pessimistic, but um, it's been fun to watch and. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't one of these guys who was like, oh, we've got to get rid of Derek McInnes at the end of his tenure or whatever. Um, but it, it's been a more interesting season to watch, even if at times we've had to go through some absolute pish to get here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, a, I'm in no, uh, no doubt there's probably more pish to come. Oh, I. But, um, I mean, as I say, three wins in a row, two clean sheets. Things are looking more, up. More pish to come. The league title was back on. I, okay. All I'll say on the data is that the numbers do not lie and they spell disaster for St. Johnston. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too much into the Dogger Saints podcast territory. Um, uh, what a name. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> that's the name of the, of the St. Johnston podcast. It's like What's Dogger that? Saints. Dogger Saints. I don't know, man. Like, a favourite hobby and the football club. Don't, <laughs> don't know what goes on in Perth, man. But <laughs> sorry, St. Johnson fans. Not that any of you are listening, but you know. <laughs> um, but it's not. It doesn't look good for them. It, it really doesn't. Uh, based on that, they don't score goals, and well, they don't keep clean sheets against Aberdeen, so it's, it's not good. Moving forwards, well, apart from the one time of the season when they did. Ah, yeah, but let's forget all about that. Uh, we'll cut that part. Yeah, exactly. But moving forwards, um, we've got 10 days off now for Aberdeen before we travel to Hibs, who have to play twice in that time. They're at home to Dundee on Tuesday night, and then they've got the League Cup final against Celtic. And then we have Dundee at home, Rangers at home, and Ross County away before we get to the winter break. I think we're all in a very different place to where we were three weeks ago before the Livingston match now. What's everyone's kind of hopes now for that period running up to the winter break? Hibs is a, a, a total wild card of a one to start on, isn't it? Because I, I guess so much of that depends on their manager. And, you know, we, we've seen with the various streaks of results that we've had where one thing can spiral into another. So I think a lot of it's going to be determined on that, really. Um, will they have a manager in place by then? Who knows? Some of the people who they're being linked with are buffoons to, 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 to put it one way i mean i saw john carver's name being linked today and i was like what are you serious um so yeah not to boil down to to, to boil football down to uh, like a momentum game where where one thing leads to another but we have been very streaky so um i'll be very interested to see where we start things off there hibs didn't look great i didn't think from from what i've seen at the weekend they again it was another ball in the box that undid them this week so i think uh, the team will be the management team will be smart enough to build on our previous success against them this season and take it from there but yeah tough tough one to predict for sure but you know they're, they're kind of garbage at the moment so why can't we start this run off with a win i like it that's what it's all about. i mean i was gonna say that you know um it appears Alex Neal's kind of taken himself out of the running for that job. He seems kind of a shoe in but doesn't look like that's going to happen. 
I'm banking. I'm praying for Steve Keen to just, you know, <laughs> walk into Ron Gordon's office and say, Ron, I'm your man. And Ron Gordon just have the absolute lack of awareness to say, actually, you know what, Steve, you might just be right. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like, the negative for us is that Paul Hanlon will be suspended because he got sent off and he's absolute dog shit. Is he suspended? What? Yeah, he got sent off against... Uh, who did they get beat by last? Livingston. Livingston. And, yeah, he got, um, he got sent off. Him and McGinn, but they've got about like 20 million games before we play them. Oh, no, they've got Dundee for... Oh, it's two yellows. Uh, Actually, the yeah. good news is Paul Hanlon will be back available for selection <laughs> and he's absolute dog shit, as is, uh, as is Ryan Porteous. So, uh, you know, I don't want to make things out to be easy but yeah i think we played very well against hibs earlier in the season when they were riding a wave of momentum themselves at that point so nothing to fear go down play football the way we want to play and yeah believe in ourselves and i think we can come away with that with three points i think well andy's right i mean we'll, we'll talk about hibs next week we'll do a proper preview on the hibs game next week but um it's funny just how things turn in football especially in this league at the moment like i said th- Two weeks ago, before the Livingston game, we were all looking at this run in towards the winter break, being a little bit apprehensive, I think, to an extent, about how many points we might pick up and whether that meant we went into the winter break, you know, sitting second bottom of the table and really going down the barrel of a, a, a January window of what the fuck do we do? Because we might be in a, a, a relegation scrap. Now, <clears throat> the league's very tight. It's kind of really concertinaed as well over the course of the weekend again. But it's nice to be looking upwards. And you look at the run of fixtures now and you go, well, you know what? Hibs at the moment, I'd like to think we'd, we'd come out of that, certainly without being beaten. Dundee at home, you've got to hope you get three points there against a Dundee team that are, you know, rooted pretty much in the bottom six, but but can get the occasional result. But then they threw away, I think, a 2-1 lead at Ross County the weekend. So that is what it is. Rangers at home kind of takes care of itself. Um, a Wednesday night, 29th of December, 7.45 kickoff. That's going to be fucking bananas, hopefully. Uh, fingers crossed. And then Dross County away to round off the January window. And you hope then if you come through this period even unbeaten, the whole the whole the whole shape, the whole feel of the season completely changes all of a sudden. And um that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping we go unbeaten all the way through the winter break. Whether we I don't think we'll win every game, but I I fancy us to 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 get there unbeaten. Yeah, it's one of them. Three games ago, I think we were all with great justification talking about the season being potentially disastrous in many ways and yeah as you say three games i think in some way the league being the way it is has put it like this we're sitting on 24 points from a possible 54 which i think is below par for aberdeen yeah but as you say we're very competitive in the in terms of where we want to actually aim to be in the league so perhaps the league being as tight as it is has maybe hidden or maybe not showing up our at times utter shyness um but yeah look at those four games i'd say Three wins and a draw, I think, is very possible. And if that happens, then it's the same thing that happened with McInnes at times. He went, we went on runs quite often where we'd win maybe seven or eight in a row. And in a league as tight as Scotland, where everyone could be everyone, that makes your season look so much better in a very quick space of time. Bring it on. Let's just go back really quickly to Saturday. Top Dons for you, Andy. You watched the whole game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if it was a 45-minute game, I'd probably go jet, um, despite the occasional ponderous moment. But across the course of the game, um, I, I'd probably have to slap it on David Bates. Um, much improved performance from him, very assured. Loved the little shimmy to take those two strikers out of the game like we talked about. 
And uh, yeah, it's just nice to see him and McCrory striking up that partnership and, and forming a bond, especially in a game where some of our more exciting attacking players like Hedges and Watkins weren't at their best. Um, I thought Bates, Bates really stood out. It's interesting because I think I'd probably go Bates as well. Um, but that's, I think, two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row, I've either gone Bates or McCrory, which makes it look like when you pick a centre defender as being your top don, it makes it look like you've been under pressure and under the cosh. And in these games, we've not really, but I just think that these guys have really stepped up, have been really comfortable with what they've been doing. You're right, Jet was great for 45 minutes, tailed off. Um, Scott Brown, purely for his shithousery, lovely stuff. I thought as well, I thought Lewis Ferguson had a really good game at the weekend. I feel like Lewis Ferguson's kind of gone under the radar in the last three or four weeks with our resurgence. I feel like he's really started to pick up form again. And I, it's maybe no coincidence that our form has picked up as his has picked back up as well. And I think it seems to be a very in-fashion thing for Aberdeen fans at the moment to try and pretend that Lewis Ferguson doesn't exist or that he's playing badly. Um, I know there's a, a whole host of reasons for that, but while he's here, while he's an Aberdeen player, we should enjoy him if he gets his move to wherever he gets a move to in January or in the summer, fair play to him. He's we, We've done all right out of Lewis Ferguson in the time we've had him. And his performances have been, have been very good the last few weeks. But I think for me, David Bates picks it back up again. So fair fucks to Bateser. Lovely stuff. I'll nominate the two or three bodies that obscured the referee's view of the blatant <laughs> handball. <laughs> Looking at some other news from Pataudry this week. On the women's side, M Hunter and Gavin Beath's side returned to SWPL1 action for the first time since the 21st of November and their 3-1 defeat at the hands of Celtic with an away trip to Hamilton Ackes. Four changes to the side beaten by Celtic, which saw goalkeeper... Aaliyah J. Meach make her debut after signing from Dundee United as the Dons sought to address a lengthy losing streak against the side currently rooted to the bottom of the table. Eva Thompson, Johan Fraser and Donna Patterson all returning to the starting eleven for this one. And the Dons started the game brightly and were rewarded for their start on 15 minutes with Bailey Hutchison latching onto a through ball and her low shot beat Aki's keeper Curry all ends up to put the Dons a goal to the good. Similar to the men's side, Aberdeen continued to dominate possession but failed to create any clear-cut chances. A Lauren Campbell pass looked to have sent Chloe Gubber free, but the winger failed to take the ball under her control and the chance was gone. Halftime came, the Dons 1-0 up and Meach without a save to make. And Aberdeen again started the second half positively. Hutchinson's cross just missing Chloe Gubber arriving at the back stick, but it only took until the 53rd minute for Aberdeen's good work to pay off. Ailey Shore's lobbed through ball found Bailey Hutchinson as she rounded the goalkeeper and finished well to double her tally and give Aberdeen some breathing room. As the game wore on, tempers began to become a little frayed. Francesca Ogilvie picking up a booking for squaring up to an Aki's player before Donna Patterson's long-range effort was easily gathered after deflection. And Bailey Hutchinson should have had a hat-trick but pulled her shot wide a goal after being put through by captain Kelly Forrest. With 12 minutes remaining, Meach had her first save to make, a fine close-range stop, and Innes did well to clear the rebound off the line. But it was Aki's who ensured there would be a nervous last few minutes of the game, Josephine Girard latching onto a slack pass by Campbell and sent a well-struck shot beyond Meach. The Dons hung on though and picked up a critical three points this season and fly up the table to fifth spot going into the winter break. Next up is a home fixture against Spartans on the 16th of January. And this result will be sure to give Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath's side some renewed confidence ahead of next year. A fine calendar year for the side, securing promotion back to the top flight and much to be proud of. 
Moving on, no match for the young team this week, so we move straight into our regular loan watch segment. And in the Highland League, starts for Kevin Hanratty and Tyler McKayta for for Martin United. And their tie away at Forest Mechanics, which for Martin won by a solitary goal. No game for Tom Ritchie and Jack McIver as Huntley's fixture against Clack at Christie Park was postponed. And it was the same story in Keith as well, meaning that neither Jamie Shingler or Jack Milne got a game as Brecon City's trip to Kinnick Park also fell foul to the weather. Conor Barron and Keenan Aguenya both started as Kelty Hearts thrashed Albion Rovers by six goals to one in League Two. Mark Gallagher was an unused substitute for Forth for Athletic in their 2-0 win over Sterling Albion. Ryan Duncan was on the bench for Peterhead and scored within 10 minutes of his introduction to grab a point in their 1-1 draw with East Fife. Michael Ruth was introduced as a 67th minute substitute for Falkirk in their 3-0 home defeat to Cove Rangers in League 1. Notable as well, ex-Don Shea Logan managing to get himself sent off for descent in the 94th minute when Cove were 3-0 up. That is some effort. And finally, Luke Turner kept his place in the starting lineup for Cliftonville as they drew 1-1 away at Portadown in the Northern Irish Premiership, which they still top two points clear of Linfield, who have a game in hand. And let's move on to the Fantasy Football Scotland updates. So let's look at our Fantasy Football Scotland League for this week. Gav, how have you gone? I've got to say, this is um, one aspect in which I'm kind of not glad to be back this week in comparison with last week. Um, I scored a whopping 86 points in week 17, which I was alpha, alpha proud of. This week, you can cut that right in half. It's 43 <laughs> points uh, with a front three that provided one, two, three, four of those points. So, yeah, not great. Not great. Uh, not a great week for myself. Still got games to come, though. It could be worse, Gav. I had the grand total of 18 points oh this week. Um, how have you, how have you <clears> managed that? Well, seven points as well came from Lewis Ferguson. My 18 points is made up of Xander Clark, two points in goals. Mulgrew, two points. Rooney, two points. Ferguson, seven. Nisbet, two. Watt, two. And Ramirez, one. I have four players who scored zero. Paul McGinn uh, being sent off, not helping. Furuhashi, zero. Jota, zero, because he wasn't playing. And Beringame, zero, because he's not playing. So I um, really need to go and take some time to have a look at my my team, I think, going forward. That has plummeted me into 176th spot. If you've got a wild card to play, you need to play that now. I have already played my wild Oof, card. So I'm desperately waiting Oof. to get towards the January transfer window. Graham's had an all right week. Yeah. Uh, 38 points, not too bad. Um, let's have a look at the actual league table itself, though. Jack Curran, two turkeys, 56 points, 1,095. Stephen Brown on the charge with gold, frankincense, and Gurr on 50 points. And then GX Silly Geese, 46 points. I'll tell you what, those three are on an island of their own as of lately. They are. Uh, seven points now, the gap between GX Silly Geese and the Kingdom of Morocco. Hafid Ziri. I've got to say, I am I'm half a surprised. I have actually risen in the table. Yeah, 43 points looks like a pretty decent week. I'm in the top 50 now. There we go. I might just I might just claim that top prize. And you don't have any of them in your team, so there's a very good chance you might actually sneak in there at this rate. Yeah. Now, keep on keeping on with your fantasy football team. There are some good prizes to be won. 
let's move on. And that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for the unveiling of our Worst Dons 11, as voted for by you, the ABZFP universe. And to play us out this half, now we've bent the rules a little bit for this one, but in the spirit of Scottish football coming together to help us out with our bonus Easter egg feature coming up after the break, we've got a track from Scottish band Carnivores. It's Scottish football. You can check out Carnivore's back catalogue over at Carnivore's One. That's the number one. Bandcamp.com. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Maritime Developments Limited, leaders in portable flex technology. 
Did you know that MDL are the only provider of rental pipe play tensioners with a track record above 4.5 metres per unit? Their pioneering TTS4 range includes systems with 5 metres and 5.5 metre track contact length, which are still road transportable, like the rest of their rental equipment range. Pair that with one of MDL's HLS packages for a flexible solution that can be customised to any vessel and available deck space. Get inspired by their innovative systems at maritimedevelopments.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast, and we're delighted to bring you our delayed but worst ever Don's Eleven, as voted by you, our ABZ FP listeners and followers on social media. So, without any further ado, let's get going. Now, this was all based on your votes to various different polls that we ran on this one. So, if anyone wants to pick fault or blame with the final selections, you have to take a long, hard look in the mirror. At yourselves lining up in a traditional 442 formation because we couldn't be arsed trying to figure out how you would do a Christmas tree for this. This is your worst ever Don's 11 with subs and coaching staff because we leave no stone unturned. And it's fair to say that this segment probably highlights the average age of our listenership and Twitter following. So, Grandpa, if your worst ever striker's name there, it's near our fault. Goalkeeper Bertie Bossu, 41. 0.8% of the vote. Let's have a look at Bertie. Born in Cali, 1980, came through the RC Lund's youth setup. Never made the first team. Um, I'm sure that's a surprise to a lot of people. Had a pretty nomadic career through the lower leagues of England with uh, spells at Barnet, Hayes, Rushton and Diamonds, Gillingham, Torquay United, Oldham, Accrington, Stanley. Didn't want to do the joke, no? Okay. And Walsall before rocking up at Pataudry for a trial and after impressing, and I'm using inverted commas here for this one, goalkeeping coach Jim Layton, Bossy was handed a two-year contract by Jimmy Calderwood. Fuck off, it was two years, was it? <laughs> Apparently it was. <laughs> <laughs> Made his debut at halftime in the Gothenburg Greats 25th anniversary testimonial match against Man United before getting a full debut in the second round of the League Cup, keeping a clean sheet as Aberdeen progressed beyond Air United 1-0. Kept his spot for the next round, and this is the game most Aberdeen fans will remember Bossu for, a demoralising 4-2 defeat at Rugby Park, sending the Dons spinning out of the competition with all of the goals coming in a mad 33-minute spell in the first half. Bossu conceding horrendous goals, a brace from Connor Salmon and one apiece from David Fernandez and Mehdi Tawili. His final appearance in the first team until making a substitute appearance in a late January fixture against Rangers at Pataudry. Bossu coming on for an injured Jamie Langfield with 38 minutes remaining and remarkably keeping a clean sheet as Dons sought out a nil-nil draw. Gents, your memories of big bad Bertie Bossu. Well, I don't want to be coming on here and saying that this whole endeavour is proof that democracy doesn't work, but I'm not having this at all, <laughs> that, that he should be the worst keeper. I guess, as you say, I mean, he kept a clean sheet against Rangers for God's sake. What more does he need to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the point, it's almost more of a critique of the manager at the time, which Calderwood did this all the time in cup competitions, especially the League Cup. He always played the reserve goalkeeper, which just infuriated me. It's fine if you're PSG and your backup keeper is Donnarumma, but if it's 
Bertie Bossu or Sasa Illich or Derek Suter and your best chance of winning a cup is the cups why would you do it um I'm not having this one at all um Bertie was pish but there have been worse offenders in goal for for Aberdeen in my view I think the 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 Killy performance is certainly a candidate at the very least for the worst goalkeeping individual performance uh, in an Aberdeen shirt. I mean, the, the Fernandez goal where he's bearing down on him, he looks like he's pissing himself, the poor guy. And this is a, <laughs> this is a guy who's what, six, six foot seven, something like that. He's a big yeah, lad. Yeah, he's a big lad. A big lad with no presence whatsoever. And you go through the goals individually one by one. The, the, the last corner salmon one there, he does that. He dives, but he doesn't move. It's it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's like he's uh, read a guide on how to goalkeep online, and he's just got. I'll just fall. It'll be fine. No worries. I won't even bother sticking one of those limbs out. If you told me that this guy, after seeing him play in that game, if you told me that he was built entirely of of cooked spaghetti and uh, <laughs> just dressed up in human clothing, I, I would believe you because his limbs were all over the place. Um, I actually went on YouTube before coming on today to see if I could find like a compilation of his greatest hits and unsurprisingly they're they're few and far between um, but I did find one uh, when he played for Gillingham I guess that was before he played for us yeah where he makes this astonishing triple save three shots in a row he gets up every single time and fends them off and actually uses this colossal frame he has um so I don't know what happened to this lad maybe he just moved up to Aberdeen and got sea legs or see arms in his case because they were all over the place as well i'm so glad that you can remember the kilmarnock game because graham can't be here with us tonight graham was at that kilmarnock game and i will never forget the text message from him just coming up the road afterwards which was just like bossu fucking pish that was literally his summation of the entire game my abiding memory of boss well i've got two of them one is when he came on against rangers and he actually did okay in that in that final uh, 30 minutes but i remember it can't be long after he signed we played St Mirren away at Love Street and I think this might have been the game that Andy Considine scored a brace, I think. Can't remember if that's exactly the game it was anyway, never mind. In the pre-match warm-up, Jim Layton was doing the keeper's run and um, Langfield went in and Bossu and Lang- uh, Layton stayed out to do a bit more work. And Layton, I swear to God, is showing Bossu, like, you know when you're a kid and you get told how to play in goals, it's like the classic W shape, like with your hands. Ah, fucking Leighton's showing Bossu this. Like, this is how you do it, mate. And I'm standing there watching this like, what the fuck? We've handed this guy a two-year deal and in the warm-up for a fucking first-team game, our keeper coach is having to tell him the basics. What the fuck is going on here? That's literally all I can remember about Bertie Bossu. Um, Gav, you, you, you're you not having him being in here. Who, who would you have put in? I mean, when you mentioned that, and I recall this as well, um, <laughs> And it is probably the contract that cost Jim Layton his job at Aberdeen the first time round in many ways, I suspect. Yeah. So I guess in that way, there may be merit. Um, for me, Jason Brown has this all day long. And that's maybe because I had some level of expectation with Jason Brown when he came up and he was just fucking horrendous. I can't remember him doing anything good and he just looked like he couldn't be arsed being here. So him, I think Scott Brown cost us big time. Yeah, many a time when he was in goal. And again, I suspect he was on a much bigger contract than Bertie was. So uh, take your pick of the Brown brothers for me. <laughs> Jason Brown, I mean, we're not going to talk about all these guys. Jason Brown is on the bench. He was second in the poll. Jason Brown has a horrendous debut at Rugby Park as well, as I recall. Graham again, Graham, his luck with 
fucking rugby park is outrageous. Jason Brown's debut, as I recall, he conceded goal within about two minutes. Um, he ran out. Well, I said ran. It was Jason Brown. He kind of <laughs> he, he kind of waddled out and um, <laughs> got nowhere near. I don't know who the striker was who just knocked it past him. And I remember us all being like, "Fucking what the fuck!" And Graham was just silent, which is not really like Graham. And I looked at him. I was like, "What's up, mate?" And he was like, "I've got a hundred quid in us today." And I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Jason Brown throws the jerseys within about a minute, and it's like, mate. But yeah, Jason Brown's an honourable one there. I would, have, I personally would have put Scott Brown in for the League Cup semi-final, but I think in mitigation for Scott Brown, was he not in goals when we had that run of like clean sheets? I think so. I think that was in spite of, not because of. But I guess there's some mitigating circumstances on that one. I guess as well for me, it's like when when Danny Ward was recalled from his loan spell. Um, and I know that kind of caught us off guard and heartbreaking because he went back to Liverpool and did nothing. So it's not even though he was playing. Klopp just took him back for the sake of it, really. We went in that moment from having, in my mind, by far and away the best goalkeeper in the league to having, amongst the starting 11 of all 12 teams, probably one of the worst. And yeah, I think we should have done better, should have done more. Yeah. I mean, Joe Lewis was always on our radar at the time. I don't know why his situation was, but I mean, I just wish we could have pushed the boat out and got a really good goalkeeper in instead we in my mind threw away our chance of winning the league by by bringing scott brown back in we'd have been better off getting scott brown than we have just now to playing goals i think let's move on from bertie bossu to the right back slot greg halford 38.1 percent in the vote now this joker was signed in february 2019 <laughs> by Derek mckinnis to resolve an injury crisis i'm using inverted commas here at full back because of injuries to shea logan and tommy hoban Halford arrived at Pathology with a resume of having played at the championship level in England with the likes of Sunderland, Wolves, Portsmouth, Nottingham Forest, Rotherham and Cardiff. And despite having been signed to resolve an injury crisis, it took nearly two months for Greg Halford to get on the pitch, coming on as a late substitute at fucking Kilmarnock. Maybe this is where we're all going wrong. For, for Conor McLennan, as Aberdeen ran out one of the winners, and then he made his second and final appearance for Aberdeen at home against Celtic. Coming off the bench for Shea Logan with 18 minutes remaining before collapsing like a fucking deck chair attempt to control a ball. Withdrawn from play 10 minutes later. And that was it. Um, managed to get the Aberdeen support in a foam when he, when he tweeted out, biting my tongue so much right now, just after full-time whistle went after the final game of that season at Hibs. Swiftly followed by the classic fishing rod emoji. And then didn't actually bother his arse to actually explain what his issue was. Uh, a total waste of a wage for three months. Surprisingly not kept on. Very little else to talk about him here from my perspective, gents. Yeah, it was a perplexing signing in the first place because when you think of people you're going to bring in to, to ease an injury crisis and provide cover, you don't necessarily go straight to a guy who'd been out of the game for eight months and not <laughs> been training. It was a really bewildering decision in the first place. And like he'd come from playing at a relatively decent level for like the entirety of his career, really. Um but when a guy's sitting out doing nothing for that period of time and he's out of contract, it makes you think what's wrong with it, bloke. And I guess we figured that out pretty quickly. I think, like, I, I barely remember a minute of this guy on the field. If that, I think when my overwhelming memory of you is an emoji uh, of your time at the football club, I think, you know, that's not usually a great sign. Uh, I'm not sure he'd be my first pick at right back, but, like, 
you know, I, I, I don't think Ricky Foster was the worst right back we've ever had, but out of pure spite, I would like to put him in there. Um, it's Richard Foster. Oh, I think, sorry. You know. Sorry, Richard. Sorry. <laughs> um, but no, Greg Halford was pish, and uh, what a pointless signing. Personally speaking, I would have probably put Foster in here if it was up to me for a number of different reasons. I think that we had possibly come to the conclusion as a, as a group of us that we may decide we would not put in players who came through the youth setup for fear of some poor sod who just happened to be pish, but you know, for no good reason would be in the would be in the side. But Foster, yeah, I would have probably put him in. Greg Halford, I would have I would have given no shits about Greg Halford. If it wasn't for them, what he did after he left, that whole tweeting thing, you're like, oh fuck off, mate. Like, what are you biting your tongue about? What the fact you've not been picked? Well, probably presumably because A, the manager looked at you and thought, not much cop. I'd rather play Dom Ball at right back for the rest of the season. And like I said earlier on, I, I wonder if he was a guy, it struck me, maybe this is me, you know, projecting, <clears throat> struck me that this was a guy who came up here from the English Championship thinking he's way better than he actually is and he would coast it. And actually it turned out it's not really happening. Plus, if I'm honest, see when he folded over against Celtic, it was fucking funny as bits. Like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I hate saying that against about a player of our own, but watch it back. It's really fucking funny. It's it's one of them, isn't it? That as Andy said, he came with a pretty, you know, a more than half decent career history as far as the clubs he's played for, the level he'd played at. I mean, he played in the English Premiership for a while with uh, with Wolves and with Sunderland. So I can kind of get the idea of taking a punt on him, but if it's cover that we need, and you know, we need someone who's going to come in and be able to do a job straight away, it just didn't make any sense. And he was what thirty-five or so by the time he came here didn't seem to fit in with our style anyway, even if he was fit. What more is there to be said? Um, and that whole thing about biting my tongue after the Hibs game, we won that game, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We won Not it. the uh, game James Wilson scores the winner. James Wilson, Jimmy Wilson scored. Yeah, J- Jimmy Wilson should have been known as Jimmy Wilson for his entirety of his Aberdeen career, by the way. I just want that. They missed a fucking trick with that. So it's not even as though we like, you know, shipped three or four goals and he's like, oh, well, if I'd played, I could have I'd really helped that. It's like, we won a game. Yeah, without you, and there's probably that's there's probably no coincidence we won a game without you. So, um, I'm happy enough. I'm sure there there have been people who have been calling for a certain um, English midfielder who's currently on loan with us to be in this team. We assembled this prior to most of the current eleven being what they are. I'm sure there are many people who would think that a other Geordie should be taking this role, Jagger. Yeah, let's move on. Jack Gurr. I don't. We've spoken a lot about Jack Gurr. We don't want to be insulting our uh, our current players, do we? Any more so than we already have. <laughs> yeah, we've spoken a lot about Jack Gurr already. So let's let's move on from that one. Left back. Jack Jack Gurr at least tries his best. I believe that, and that is a nice segue onto this useless fucker. It's a very good point. Left back, Jackie fucking McNamara, sixty two point eight percent of the vote for the left back slot. I am delighted to see he got put in here. What a fucking charlatan. Signed by Jimmy Caldwood on the 1st of July 2007 on a free transfer from Wolves. An experienced professional coming to the end of his career, here to help out our young players, etc., etc. What could go wrong? Uh, pretty much everything, as it turns out. Reportedly on a significant weekly wedge at the time. It's fair to say that McNamara offers absolutely nothing in his 25 appearances that season, culminating in shitting it in Madrid by limping off after an innocuous-looking challenge on 34 minutes, and then being hooked just after John Stewart scored Queen of the South's fourth in that infamous Scottish Cup semi-final at Hamden. 
disappearing straight up the tunnel, shite baggery of the highest order, never to be seen in a red shirt again. Gents, Jackie McNamara. I remember at the time thinking it sounded like a good idea. I think he'd been playing pretty well with Wolves. We just lost Russell Anderson, I think, to Sunderland. Yeah. It made sense. He was an experienced player. He'd won a lot of trophies with Celtic, knew the league. Again, on paper, it sort of it sounded like a, a pretty much a match made in heaven. And then, you know, then he started playing for us. And it just didn't, you know, the day that he signed was probably his peak. And it just got progressively worse and worse. And yeah, I mean, what is it we said? I very much got the impression, like, much like Craig Bryson, he just did not give a fuck about being at Aberdeen. It was to collect a wage, nothing else. And then... You know, his performances spoke of what he actually felt about playing for Aberdeen. Yeah, my my circumstances with Jackie McNamara were the exact same. I figured this is a, a, a good tenured player with, with vital experience who'll be good for the young lads and maybe we'll only get a year or so out of him, but it'll be a good solid year and he won't let us down. He'll be a good leader. But then you get the other side of this kind of signings, which is exactly that, just lazy uh, didn't he play like he wanted to be there at all? Well, it barely got out of first gear for the performance. And, and like at the time, I think our fullback roster had such, you know, club legends as Dan Smith and Richie Byrne on the books. And it's like, you look at that and you think, okay, yeah, Jackie McNamara, he'll be great. Look at these other, <laughs> look at these other lads uh, that we've tried out there. But no, I always got the impression as well, like when he moved into management, and and we played, we we came across him or he spoke about us. I always got the impression he was very bitter about the way his Aberdeen career turned out. And I don't I don't really understand why, because for such a, a bristly character at times, he, he was one of the laziest guys I've ever seen in a red shirt, I think. Like just a, a, a nothing run for us and a big disappointment, really. Because yeah, coming from Wolves, that's not a bad club to be at, but get these guys at the end of their career sometime and they just phone it in and I felt that was the way with McNamara. I think we've been betting so many times with that type of signing, haven't we? Like where they get guys coming into the career and you think, cool, solid pro, we might get one or two years out of them and they'll do a job and more often than not for Aberdeen, it really doesn't work out that way. Um, it was one of my big apprehensions about Scott Brown coming here this summer was all I had in the back of my head was fucking Jackie McNamara. And in fairness to Brown, it's been completely different. My my things with Jackie and McNamara have always been, I remember at the time it being talked about, he was commuting up to Aberdeen every day from, I think it was like the Edinburgh area or something, every fucking day for training. Like there was no level of commitment to actually moving to Aberdeen, even if it was just like three or four days a week or whatever, you know, and then going back down the road. And then he was always having this niggly like back injury. And then later on, after he moved, I think, after he left us to go to Falkirk, I'm sure he came out and said, that, oh, well, my back wasn't really being helped by the fact that I was, like, in the car every day. It's like, well, here's a fucking idea then, mate. Stop driving up and down from Edinburgh every day. That might help matters. Put a bit of commitment into the club that's paying your wages. But the two that really pissed me off, and it's the ones we spoke about there, Atletico Madrid away, he absolutely shat it and decided, I'm going to go down and I'm going to, like, you know, give the old calf a wee feel and I've had enough after 34 minutes, which left us, I think, with Richie Byrne marking Cunaguero for an hour. And, you know, I'm not going to besmirch Richie Byrne. That's a hard shift, but it's not really what we wanted. And then that performance against Queen of the South in the Cup semi-final, I know that a lot of people had an absolute nightmare that day. But for a guy who's 
you know, been there, seen it, done it, bought the T-shirt at Hamden on multiple occasions for Celtic and for Scotland. That for me was one of the most cowardly performances I've ever seen. And when he got hooked and he went straight up the up the tunnel without even a backwards glance, it was like, seriously, get that guy to fuck. No chance that guy should ever pick a put on a red shirt ever again. And thankfully he didn't, in fairness. But what a fucking disaster of a of a left back. And as you said earlier on, Eddie, you could probably pick a worst. 11's fullback slot out of our squad just there and then for McNamara to come out in there is almost like that I'd be embarrassed to be him to be even put into this sort of list but I think he's in there deservedly I don't think this is even just a petty people being dicks type thing I think the, I think this is fully deserved for me no argument from here um, all I'll say is that day when he ran up the tunnel at Hamden that was the fastest he ran in an Aberdeen shirt as well you're so <laughs> fucking right and I'm amazed you remember that because you were the most hungover I've ever seen you that day. And I'm sure that the performance on the pitch really helped. Brutally hungover and watching our midfield getting marshaled by Neil McFarlane. That's uh, just what I needed. Christ. <laughs> Into the central defence. First centre half. Dave Bus. I think it's Bus. Bus. So not having any of this, by the way. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> 44.3%. Now, for a short period... Jimmy Caldwell kind of toyed with the idea of plowing the Dutch market looking for similar success <laughs> to Alex Smith back in the late 80s. Um, Dave Buss followed recent arrivals Jeffrey DeVisher and Kareem Tuzani at Pataudry. I think we were shopping in a slightly different market at this point. Uh, Buss arrived on loan in January 2008, on loan from the Graf Shop. So he was actually a decent club. Um, and we had a, an option to buy, which we, which we didn't take up. Made his debut coming off the bench for the aforementioned shite bag, Jackie McNamara, in the other semi-final horror show that season, a 4-1 defeat at Tynecastle Castle to Dundee United. <clears throat> and remarkably, Bush started the next match, a home fixture against Celtic in the league, where he put on a disaster class of central defending that saw the Dons 3-0 down at halftime, eventually finishing up on the wrong end of a 5-1 thumping. And amazingly, this wasn't enough to deter Jimmy Caldwood. Bush retained his place in the lineup for the next week against Hibs away. Another defeat, 3-1 this time, and surely that would spell the end of Bush's time in the Don's starting lineup. Not for Jimmy. A sub-appearance at home to submit and preceded his most remembered appearance for Aberdeen away at Inverness, where Bush flashed in one of the most bizarre slash impressive own goals I've ever seen. A diving header from the acutest of angles, finding its way past Derek Souter, the Dons recovered to win a remarkable game 4-3 in the end. Final appearances coming from the bench against United and Motherwell at the back end of the season. Not doing anything to convince Jimmy Caldwell to take up that option to buy. And Boos found his way to go-ahead Eagles instead. And he's now running an online wholesaler in sports supplies, I found out. So, Dave Boos, gentlemen. He's a... Uh, he's always been a guy who, when I've been thinking about the, the worst Aberdeen 11 of all time, he's been like the first name on the team sheet. And I can't quite figure out why. If that's on merit based on his performances, and he certainly had some stinkers like you've just gone through there, or if I, I, I have in my head that he just, he, he gave me weird vibes as a human being. <laughs> and I, I, can't, I can't really explain why that is. Um, I remember when he signed, I thought... 
this is not one of the, you know, this guy doesn't look like a typical athlete. He's almost got like Skeletor vibes about him. Yes. And, 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 <laughs> like me. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like it, this gaunt lad. And he like, he kind of looks a bit like a stretched out Willow Flood, but not as strange as Willow Flood. <laughs> uh, bless Willow. Um, I, I, and on top of that, if, if we are to take the literal British surname as Boss, that's just funny. Dave Boss is just a funny name. Um, so I, I've never been able to tell if my bias against this bloke is warranted or if I'm just a bit of a dick and I'm making fun of him. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, obviously the own goal is a classic of the genre. And, oh, yes. you know, one of those cherished uh, things that ends up in highlight reels and everything else, taking the piss out of people. But I always got it, like, on a more serious than watching him play, he was just one of the most uncommanding lost centre-backs I think I've ever seen uh, for Aberdeen. He had no sense of how to impose himself on the game. But that was kind of like the way with Jimmy's, <laughs> Jimmy's Dutch signings. You know, sometimes you get a fern snoil. But more often than that, it was a Dyron Dahl or a Dave Boss. And, and here he is. Um, yeah, there are probably a few more stinkers I could name who were maybe technically worse defenders. Um, but he's just a funny guy to include, isn't he? It's another one of those where, like, to be honest, I did not realize he came from De Grasch. I thought he was another Dutch amateur that we signed on a six-month, I just took a punt on. And then to learn that he went to Go Ahead Eagles. So that's, <laughs> I know. Like, I know. so that's like teams that are in, like, the top, at least the top two leagues of Dutch football is kind of astounding to be honest. I don't remember seeing Dave Buss in person. So my memory is kind of, you know, I, I don't really have any as such, but he was clearly dog shit. But um, yeah, like I say, I'm not... Again, I put that down to more the, the recruitment policy of the manager. And listen, I, Jimmy Caldwell did some very good things for Aberdeen, no questions asked, but I mean... He also did some very bad things, as it turns out. His, his January recruitment policy, which was to go to Holland, ask Scott for some recommendations, take a punt, because God forbid playing maybe like one of the young lads in the youth academy, that was um, a galling thing. So I guess um, I guess Dave Bust earns his place um, on that, but again, he's kind of maybe fallen on the manager's sword there. Yeah, I mean, though, just Jesus, like what a generational change, eh? Like you go from... Plowing the Dutch market for, you know, Heelhouse, Mason, Tenkat, Schnelders, Van der Ark, these guys. And then, what, fucking 20 years later, De Vischer, Bus, Dal, Bass. Bass, Jesus, Bass. Sven Bass. Bass. God. <laughs> Karim Tuzani, there's another one. Who I think would be in this team if he uh, actually ever made it to the first team. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, let's move on to the other centre half. Yul Moweni, 39.5% of the vote. I actually feel Yul's been a bit hard done by here by the pool he ended up in, as I remember. Well, this is what I'm uh, this is what I'm saying. I'm not having either of these defenders. So uh... we'll come on to that in a second, but let's go on this one. So signed on the 3rd of June 2011 by Craig Brown in a pre-contract from Greek side. Pansyriakos, who I've never heard of. I'm presuming they're Panathinaikos as like illegitimate brothers or something. <laughs> This reunited Moweni with Brown, who he played under at Press North End. And Moweni arrived with a decent pedigree, the second of our players who, who had been part of uh, the RC Lons side that reached the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup in the 99-2000 season. So maybe that's who we need to blame for all of this, is a particular French outfit. And then Moweni had spells at Derby County in a six-year stay at Press North End, made his full first-team debut for the Dons in a drab Nil-nil draw with St. Johnston. Who else would it be? <laughs> um, on the opening day of the season, where he and fellow debutant 
David Gonzalez had a couple of nervy moments together, as I remember. You can hear my dog barking in the background now by this one. Left Aberdeen the following summer after making a total of 25 appearances, eventually joining Fleetwood Town. Truth be told, I actually remember very little about Moeni. I was kind of surprised to see him in the poll, but does anyone have anything to say about you, Moeni? I think it's the same kind of thing we've been talking about with the guys who've come in on loan as of late. It's I remember just knowing that he had a good kind of pedigree, good experience with championship teams in England and were conditioned from a certain age, from a certain generation in Scotland to believe that any level of English football is automatically better than the highest level of Scottish football. So you're thinking to yourself, well, he's made a career down there. So, you know, coming up here to Scotland, he's going to be a good experienced pro and someone is going to hold his own really well. Again, I don't remember much about him. I don't think he played all that often. I remember him being really slow. And having great hair, that's about it. <laughs> he did have tremendous hair. Uh, yeah, I thought this was uh, certainly not the first name I'd go to, put it that way, uh, as well. I thought he was just kind of a mediocre to maybe slightly bad defender, uh, rather than some of the outright howlers we have uh, on the bench here. No spoilers yet. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't really have any in-depth thoughts on Gilmoyne either. Like, I mean, thinking about who else was in the squad at the time, it probably would have been Reynolds and Considine and, you know, Russell Anderson whenever he was fit, I guess, Rory McArdle. And, like, I don't know. I just don't think he stands out as particularly horrendous. He wasn't the most elegant defender in the world. Um, but, like, an all-time worst 11? I, I, I don't know. I disagree with the voting public on this one. Yeah, I just remember him being part of like a pretty underachieving Aberdeen team, but nothing that there's nothing that comes to mind immediately that makes me think, whew, Yoma Wenny. He had great hair as well. As as mentioned previously. Okay, cool. <laughs> Good stuff. I think Boos maybe is 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 in there. Moeni possibly not. If it was up to you guys, who would who would you have put in as your centre half? General Eiffel. Hundred percent general Eiffel. Uh just the clogger's clogger for me. Uh, nothing about the lads whatsoever from a technical standpoint. <laughs> treated the treated the football like it was a bomb. He was trying to get rid of, <laughs> and I think it, it kind of it spoke volumes as well. That after a while he was doing so much damage in the middle that we tried him out at right back. Yes, it was like <laughs> I was about to talk about him at right back. It's like, well, he's going to cost us goals if we put him in the middle. At least if he's out here, he can't cost us much, but he won't offer anything going forward. But <laughs> John Ingalls was the first, you know, Aberdeen player that, as a kid, I properly loved. Um, <laughs> so, for you know, I, I don't remember much of his performances because I think he was, I was seven or something when he signed. Um, so I, I can't put him in there on good faith, but as a personal bias, and uh, I have to give an honourable mention to Alan Tate as well, who was just, oh man, what, what an ugly footballer he was. <laughs> Alan, Alan Tate ran like he shot himself. Yes. <laughs> he had the rigid back as well. Yeah. I, I can't remember who he debuted against. Um, but in his first match, he got binned by someone. He got <laughs> yes. back up and the play moved on. And the first thing he did was after getting wiped out by a forward who was probably about half his size, he got up and flipped him the middle finger. Like he was trying to be the defiant one in all of this. And I was sitting there at my seat going, what, what is this guy? This guy used to be Swansea's captain. Like what's going on? It was against Hibs. That was his debut. Hibs, right. There we go. You know what the worst thing about Alan Tate is, right? Alan Tate's got a League Cup winner's medal in England and in Scotland. <laughs> Of course, so he does, eh? <laughs> and I was talking to someone, I was talking to my mate Chris the other day, 
and we were talking about this. And he was like, Alan Tate has to be in. And I brought up the fact he'd ran like he shot himself. And he was like, yeah, our like his group of pals, they nicknamed him Pampers at the time. And I was like, I fucking love it. Scottish football, man. Scottish football's the best. I just want to go back to Jenna Eiffel playing right back. Gav, do you remember this? I, oh, yeah. I, dis- I distinctly remember a home game. Under the lights, I think, Eiffel was playing right back, and he suddenly decided he was going to turn it a marauding winger. And he went tearing up the right wing, took on about three players, beat them all, and then lashed across straight out the park on the other <laughs> side. And you're like... <laughs> Jesus Christ. We had we had not too recently moved to the south stand by that point, and I remember seeing it in sort of like high definition. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, let's take a look at the subs bench that we have. I mean, I'm just going to say it straight up. I mean, again, Gerald Eiffel, no questions asked. The worst defender I've seen play for Aberdeen. I, a classic panic signing where we got pumped by Sigma. We played Hull, I think, for Dean Windass's testimonial. Yeah, yeah, and like it was loaded like six or seven trialists. Somehow, I mean, probably it was a testimonial. Eiffel looked the best of the lot, and we handed him a two-year deal. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, <laughs> we'll come to Mark in a, in a few minutes. I think I remember a game at Motherwell at Fir Park where he the ball the ball was played in behind him, so he's out of position. <laughs> but he actually he, he actually like. <laughs> the balls played in behind him to to jamie murphy and eiffel does actually really well to get back into position to to cover and then i don't know what happens but he just trips over himself and falls down like a sack of shit and jamie murphy's just like what the fuck and then just slots it past the keeper whoever that was that day i actually was just thinking like all right this is it we've reached the fucking pits now just close the doors of pedodry now following aberdeen at this time was like if you didn't have a sense of humor about it, it you would have been like fucking suicidal you genuinely would have been you had to have a sense of humor to follow aberdeen around this period of time i mean I think it speaks volume that Craig Brown was appointed manager, came in, had one training session, then called Gerald into his office and said, listen, Gerald, it ain't happening, mate. <laughs> Maybe time to find another career. Um, and partnering Gerald and Sarah back would be none other than Nico Vujadinovic. Mm. Mm. And again, I, I mentioned Nico because he came to us from Udinese, having been signed for 1 million euros. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, established Serie A club. He's coming here. He's got to be half decent. And I remember just kind of feeling nothing but pity for how shit he was. He also scored an amazing own and, goal. Well, I was going to say, when you're taken on as a defender, to <laughs> sort of, I think we were two up against Cali Tussle. Yeah, we were. And we were like, here, taken on as a defender, attacker off, defender on, go and show it up the defense. Let's see this game out. And your first contribution is a fantastic diving header into your own net. That's just... <laughs> if that doesn't get you into a worst 11, I don't know what it does. Yeah, I, I, I fundamentally really disagree with the centre-half pairing here as well. I'm not going to lie. For me, it would have been Gerald, and it would have been Brian O'Neill, or Brain O'Neill, as I've written him on the script, I noticed. Um, Brian O'Neill, we, we spent 850 grand on this useless fucker. <laughs> and I would only have been... I can't even think what age I would have been. But you know when you're like, I could do better than that? I genuinely think I could do better than that. And I didn't have a massive issue with John Ingalls because I like John Ingalls' hair. <clears throat> Big Zeus. Fair play. 
and then, but you know, Jesus Christ, how these two have not made it into the 11, how these two have not even made it onto the bench terrifies me. Aberdeen fans out there on Twitter, you need to take a long, hard fucking look at yourself. Let's take a look at the bench here for the defensive third. So, sub goalkeeper, Jason Brown, edging out Nicky Walker and the aforementioned Scott Brown. Don't need to go too much on that one. Our sub fullback is Ryan McLaughlin. Now, he edges out Jamie McQuilkin, Dan Smith, John Gallagher, Ricky Richard Foster, and Colin Woodthorpe. Now, I probably would have put Woodthorpe in here myself. Again, this is an age thing. But Woodthorpe we actually paid hard cash for and was fucking guff. Sub-centre half. I, I, I cannot believe that Gerald or Brian O'Neill have not made in the, the sub-bench. It is Nikola Vujadinovic. I think possibly swayed by that own goal, which was spectacular. Uh, the other competition for the sub-bench was Alan Tate, Pampers himself, Brain O'Neill, Jingles. <laughs> and, and People put Tony Kumbuari in here. Now, Kumbuari was hilarious because Kumbuari was effectively like the Benjamin Button of footballers, or I guess the Benjamin Button of footballers. <laughs> because <laughs> this was a guy who I think, you know, signed and he looked like he was about fucking 52 when he arrived at Aberdeen <laughs> and apparently just got younger I mean he was pish but he was a kind of cultured pish Aye. I just say we've uh, we've been kind of chatting about the um, potential best 11 and someone decided to put forward a best Scottish 11 and a best non-Scottish 11 and in his best Scottish non-11 was Thomas Solberg <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like mate what? That can't, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> Kato Goodfight just ahead of him. I'm not going to do the working right now to prove that it can't be true, but it, that just, because he was, no, no. That's quite the take, to be fair. It's almost as bad as that one we saw this week. You know, the best ever Aberdeen SPFL Scottish eleven from like 92 onwards. And I had guys like, well, A, they put Ryan Jack in there. It's like, mate, read the room. Come on. Just going to throw that one out. But then on subs bench, you had guys like Jamie Langfield. And like, I'm not one of these ones that has this huge vitriolic thing about Langfield. Like, he wasn't great. But at the end of the day, saved a, couple, well, saved a penalty kick in a League Cup final. We won a trophy off the back of it. It doesn't defend everything that happened for Jamie Langfield, but it's better than my trophy haul. So, you know what? I'll give him the break on that one. I mean, he saw off contenders for 10 years at Aberdeen. So. Aye, but those contenders were Bertie Bossu and Derek Suter and... David Gonzalez. You can only beat the team that's in front of you. This is true. <laughs> it's just like mad. Anyway, let's move on up into the midfield area on the right wing. If you thought it was going to get any better. <laughs> on on the right wing. Jeffrey Monacana, 21.3% of the vote. I think this was the tightest race, and I would say race since the very loosest possible sense of the word. Came in on loan from Brighton Hove Albion in July 2014, made his debut off the bench against Celtic in a 2-1 defeat at Celtic Park. Every one of his 10 appearances for Aberdeen came from the bench. His final match, a 2-0 victory over St. Johnston in January 2015 before his loan spell was, was up and not renewed. Going on to have a career including spells at Mansfield Town, Carlisle United, Bristol Rovers, FC Voluntari, Sutton United, Margate, Welling United, Wilson. You want some? I'll give it you. Dulwich Hamlet, Fionlar, and most latterly with Icelandic side, Magni Grenivik, who I think sound like a Transformers character from the movie in 1985, but never mind. Does anyone have anything to say about Jeff Monacana? I remember he had an excellent step over. He had lots of step overs. He did. Well, I mean, I say excellent. I mean, he never actually beat a man with them, but they looked good. 
Always wore gloves. Always, always wore gloves. gloves. Um, I remember he wore the number seven shirt. Mm-hmm. He was in on loan from Brighton, as you mentioned. I think he was just after Michael Hector. So we were kind of feeling good about our loan policy at the time. And well, he was also just after Alan Tate. So <laughs> Alan Tate won a cup. Um, <laughs> two cups. Um, yes. <laughs> two cups, Tate. <laughs> Who's fucking laughing now, right? We'd all take the piss out of Alan Tate. He's got two cups. More medals than me. Definitely more than yeah, I've got. Absolutely. Um, I just remember being really ineffective and just not really doing much. But again, to the extent that I'd place him in right wing in the worst 11, I, I, don't, know. I don't know. I wouldn't have him in this, to be honest with you. But um, we are where we are. Andy, anything about Jeff, Jeff Monacana? The only thing I really remember about him is that I, I used to sit next to, in, in Pataudry, uh when I had my last couple of season tickets in the South Stand. I went with my mate, but on the other side was this absolute dope with the worst football intakes of all time. And my general barometer was if somebody came in and this guy was immediately a fan of them, they were pish by default. And this guy would sit there the whole game waiting for Monacana to come on and then get really excited when he came off the bench and then proceeded to do absolutely nothing for 10 minutes or however long he was. I, I, I remember him just as the, the classic Ferrari without a steering wheel type. Um, <laughs> he seemed quite eager to get on the ball, but once it was at his feet, he didn't really know what to do apart from twiddling the right analog stick to get his step overs yes. out there. <laughs> I, I don't recall. I don't recall him ever beating a man. I don't think he had a particularly strong grasp of such, uh, you know, tough concepts as passing to a teammate. Um, so you know, fleeting appearances, uh, no endearing memories. Uh, but the guy that sat next to me liked him, and that guy was dumb. So he must have been bad. Did you sit somewhere near us, I think, in the South Stand? Because that sounds remarkably familiar to somebody who used to sit behind us. I might have done. I was uh, pretty much right on the halfway line. Uh, uh, might not be far away. We might uh, be talking about the same person. We probably are. I, this, yeah. this wee guy was the bane of my existence for about three or four years. And then I left Aberdeen. So <laughs> Because of him? Well, uh, more or less. The, yeah. the thing is, we actually, like, literally, I moved to Newcastle a couple of months later. We went to that awful... Cup final against Celtic at Hamden where we got pumped 3-0 oh, yes. or, or, or whatever it was. And uh, I, I, who's, you know, who's the first person I see standing <laughs> there outside Hamden Park? Yeah. Tapping me on the shoulder going, hi, hi, mate. I haven't seen you at Pataudry in a oh, while. No. <laughs> like, ah, oh, that's a shame. See you later, mate. Bye. No, that, that guy was, ah, that brings back bad memories. Let's move on. <laughs> Did he talk about taking responsibility? He might have done. He might yeah. have done. Um, he just I, had the worst turn of phrase I can remember. One w- Willow Flood came on one game and he goes, taps me on the shoulder and goes, here, mate, do you not think Willow Flood looks like one of those fish with the arms? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't, fucking, I can't wait. We're talking to Willow in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, I, get in. I, I look forward <laughs> to bringing this one up with him. There was a guy in the South Stand that used to... <laughs> I like Willow Flood. When he, when he banged in that winner against Hibs on that cold, horrendous night uh, at Pataudry uh, a few years ago, <laughs> my, mate, my mate had been sitting in the Hibs end with one of our mutual friends who's a Hibs fan, abusing Willow Flood all night, <laughs> shouting whatever word you, you know at him. Mm-hmm. Flood hits that winner, slides right up to the away fans. Look, I, I don't know if he did this on purpose, but apparently he looks my mate dead in the eyes and just gets it off him. 
that's the level of pettiness I look for in a football <laughs> player. So fair play to Willow Flood. Yeah, Monacan. Monacan always strikes me as being a very non-Derek McInnes signing. Nearly as non-Derek McInnes as signing Ronnie Hernandez. Now that's not a Derek McInnes signing. I think I think it was probably just a case we were just given. He was quite late on. I remember. I remember he came late quite late on in the transfer window. I suspect it's just a case of we've been handed this guy. Let's just take a punt. If he's any good, so be it. And if he's not, then hey, no loss. He gets punted back in six months, and we give the number seven shirt to Kenny McLean instead. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the other flank, the left wing. I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of delighted to see that this was the runaway biggest winner of all the polls. Um. <laughs> Greg Wilde, <laughs> 71.3% of the vote here. Signed by Derek McInnes in his first close season in charge of the Dons after a, a one-year spell at Bolton Wanderers, which followed his departure from the old co-Rangers after they went out of existence. Made his first-team debut off the bench in a 3-1 victory away to Mill before getting a first start in a 0-0 draw with... Now, you might need to wait for this and sit down. St. Johnston scored his one and only goal for Aberdeen in the 90th minute in a fine 2 0 Dons victory at Easter Road before being released in January 2014. Six months into a three year deal, making 10 appearances in total with that one goal. Now, left Aberdeen claiming that Aberdeen was a bad move for me. Going there as an ex Rangers player was never going to work out. Now, we'll come to that quote in a second. Went on from Aberdeen to St Mirren, Plymouth twice, Millwall, Morecambe, Northampton Town, Livingston, Clyde, East Stirlingshire, and is currently plying his trade with East Kilbride. Now, gents, I'm going to ask for your thoughts on Greg Wilde before we move to a very, very, very special segment of the show. Can you remember anything about the Wilde? Um, so, yeah, this is Derek McInnes' first transfer window as such, and we brought in... Willow Flood and Barry Robson, and I think Calvin Zola might have Calvin come in as well beforehand. And I remember feeling quite excited about our business, and that included Greg Wilde. Now, I think with the benefit of hindsight, I think I misremembered him. I think I thought we were getting a pretty tidy centre midfield player, <laughs> not, a, not a kind of headless chicken left winger. I think I confused him with Kyle Hutton, who, by the way, didn't have a good career either, really, by any kind of standard, you know. But was kind of a pretty technically sound player. And then, yeah, we got Greg Weld instead. And let's be fair and balanced. He did score that goal against Hibbs. Good finish. It was a good goal, actually. It was a good goal. It was a good finish. Um, good victory for Aberdeen. And um, that's that side of the balance taken care of. Um, what is what is there? You know what? I mean, this is the thing I think that we'll come on to in a second that... Um, Listen, he was pish. No questions asked. He was absolute dog shit. Um, couldn't cross to save his life. Offered no threat. Didn't work for the team. Good, ta- good tattoos. Nice sleeve. Had, had some good tattoos. We'll, we'll do some balance. We'll do some balance. If um, if Greg Weld, you know, had, you know, beaten his men and put crosses in that landed on the striker's head and not on the poor fucker that was in row Z behind the goal, or, you know, scored goals, or even just played as if he gave a fuck, then he probably wouldn't be in this conversation right now. There's probably technically worse players out there, but he just, from the moment he signed to the moment he left, I always just got the impression he felt that playing for Aberdeen was beneath him. And that's why. I think I think that's probably the biggest reason why he's here. Oh, that, that was the impression I kind of got from Greg Wilde as well. I, he was another one who, when he came in, I thought, this, this could be quite a promising sign. He's young, he's 
you know, he broke into the Rangers team for a while before, you know, they got <laughs> nuked <laughs> down to the lower levels. And But, you know, I think it speaks volume about your level of application when you come in on, what was it, a two or three year deal, you get released six months into that. And uh, yeah, like, uh, like Greg Halford, uh, although to a greater extent, he's remembered for non-footballing things that are quite hilarious and uh, absolutely warrant his place on the list it's just an all-time funny move really i think this is i think that's perfect i mean <clears throat> i think we need to i don't think greg wells on this list right <clears throat> if he doesn't come out with the absolute shite he comes away with after leaving because how many players have we had that come in and they're horseshit and they leave and everyone's like all right whatever you know actually i'm quite glad he's left now <clears throat> and in in fairness one of Derek McInnes's strengths in his first couple of seasons at Pathology were he might sign players and he would very quickly realize they weren't going to work out for whatever reason. And this summer's a classic example. Calvin Zola and Greg Wilder both bombed out very quickly because he realizes they're probably not up to much cop. <clears throat> I think the thing that really narked Aberdeen fans on the way out was this whole idea about I should never have gone there as an ex-Rangers player. It was never going to work out because there's an inference from Greg that therefore as an ex-Rangers player, he's never going to be accepted or he's not going to get a fair shake of the stick or whatever. And listen, we've got plenty of examples that run contrary to that. Jim Bett, Barry Nicholson, Ross McCrory, David Bates in the current lineup are perfect examples of this. And that's before you even get to guys like Ian Jess or Kenny McLean or Lewis Ferguson who were youth players at Rangers okay, they never made first-time appearances for them, but no one sat, sits there as an Aberdeen fan and holds that against them. And then, you know, let's not forget our greatest ever manager was an ex-Rangers player. And now I don't see too many Aberdeen fans. Now, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but I don't see too many Aberdeen fans sitting there saying, you know what, Fergie was all right, but I'd have appreciated him a lot more if he'd never played for Rangers. Like, this is the, tiny, the, the type of typical nonsense stuff that gets spouted and perpetuated by the West Coast media in Scotland that if a player comes to Aberdeen, let's be honest, if a player comes to Aberdeen, puts in a shift, shows they're committed to the cause, buys into the club, they're going to get on fine, aren't they? I mean, look at our current captain, Scott Brown, case in point. It's not just me, is it? No, not at all. I wouldn't say so, no. I mean, of course, though, we would say this, wouldn't we? We're, we're Aberdeen fans, we're biased. So we thought we should try to make this viewpoint as objective as possible. So here on the ABZ football podcast, we don't shirk the big discussion points. We don't bottle these difficult discussions. We embarked on a mission. That's right. A fucking mission. Three weeks out for Christmas to check out whether or not it's true that being an ex-Rangers player holds back a player in their career. And we'd like to welcome you to the Greg Wild conversation. It's the talk of the nation, it's the Greg Wild conversation. Going there as an ex-Rangers player was never going to work out. These are the words attributed to Greg Wilde when asked to reflect on his time in the northeast of Scotland with Aberdeen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Greg Wilde conversation, or as it could be considered, an exploration into the idea that ex-Rangers players are faced with such scrutiny from the Aberdeen support that a successful career at the Dons is a mountain to climb for each individual who crosses the divide between the Royal Blue of Glasgow and the Red of Aberdeen. Now, if we ignore the thriving Aberdeen careers of such ex-jurors as 
Jim Bett, Ian Jess, Barry Nicholson, and, oh, we don't know, Alex Ferguson, to name but four. We here at the ABZ Football Podcast reached out to see if there was any merit as to Wilde's theory on why his time at Aberdeen was as underwhelming as it proved to be. But we don't want to be seen as being petty or biased. Well, any more so than arranging this segment already makes us. So we contacted supporters of all 10 clubs Greg Wilde played for out with his time at Rangers and Aberdeen to see if his reasoning stands up to any scrutiny or if perhaps Greg should maybe take a look inwards and pause for a moment of self-reflection. For a complete assessment, we spoke with... Uh, Mark Hiles, uh, I'm Chief Football Writer of the Bolton News, and I support no football club. Uh, Peter Taylor and Berry AFC, as they are now known, it was obviously Berry FC at the time uh, uh, Greg Wilde was with the club. My name is Kenny Leckie and I'm a St Mum fan. Yeah, my name is Sam Down and I'm a Plymouth Argyle supporter. My name is Nick Hart and I uh, create the Achtung Millwall podcast on Millwall FC in London. Uh, Danny Brothers, Northampton Town. So my, my name's Joel Shooter, and I'm a, I'm a Morecambe fan. So my name is Liam Innes, and I am one of very few Livingston supporters. Yeah, so I am Paul Shanks, and for all of my sins and whatever past life i done, I am a Clyde fan. Uh, my name's Gregor McIntosh, and I'm an East Stirlingshire fan. The year was 2012, and in the wake of financial troubles coming to light that would ultimately liquidate Rangers... Wilde's contract was mutually terminated and on March 2012 he signed a three-year deal with Bolton Wanderers. Complications which arose from his leaving Rangers and a change in manager at Bolton made things difficult for Wilde to even get on the field, as Mark discussed with us. I think to be fair to Greg Wilde, he was hamstrung. He came in at a time where Bolton needed players and was not allowed because of the the, the fallout of the Rangers uh, problems. FIFA would not let him play another club so there was a lot of international red tape um i think another rangers player uh mervyn selick i think his name was he went to sweden and could play straight away and bolton's frustration was that greg wilde couldn't play straight away so he had to wait several months to be able to get anywhere near the bolton team by which time bolton had struggled in the championship they changed the manager to doobie friedman who definitely didn't fancy him and you know he was he was packed off to giggling there uh, to play half a dozen games with game time proving difficult to come by, Wilde was given the opportunity for a fresh start to prove himself when he moved on loan to Bury in November 2012, where we will let Peter Taylor tell you all about his memories of Greg Wilde. Actually, to be fair, initially I was quite excited because it, Kevin Blackwell was in charge at the time. And for people who don't know, it was basically like Neil Warnock's right-hand man and like all, almost for the entirety of his um, coaching career. And, when he became manager of Bury, he wasn't exactly known for um, playing wingers or any footballers who, you know, you could actually pass five yards or 10 yards along the floor. So when a left winger came in, I was thinking, wow, left winger who actually uses his left foot, this will be great. And then he just, like, like to be fair, almost every single other member of the team was absolute dog shit that season. Just didn't do anything of note. The only thing, actually, the only thing I remember him doing of note was um, in what's known as like the EFL trophy, which is like the the little brother of yeah, the pizza trophy, whatever it is now. But whatever at the time, it was wasn't actually that bad a competition. I think Barry played Preston and 
uh, went to penalty shootout and Barry always used to lose in these sorts of things. And then he actually missed the decisive penalty. So that, that was his time summed up. So after what can be safely referred to as an inauspicious time in England, Wilde found his way to Aberdeen where things didn't exactly go according to plan. And after just six months, he was released from his contract with the Dons, moving to St Mirren on an 18-month deal. And as Kenny puts it, in keeping with the buddies' fortunes at the time, what should have been a good signing on paper did not really materialise, and St Mirren were ultimately relegated at the end of Wilde's 18-month contract. St Mirren, I've got this incredible habit of signing guys who are brilliant on paper. So we tend to sign guys who are fantastic, like FIFA players, but are always injured. And, and for example, Greg Wilde is someone who's had a lot of injury problems throughout his career and probably could have had a, a more exemplary career in Scottish football and beyond, had his fitness levels and had he had a better luck with injuries. And I'm thinking of guys like Craig Dargo and Michael Higdon and all these lads that, you know, Dennis Wynas, guys who would smash goals in. Me and my dad have this reoccurring joke that if a player scored 30 goals, the Saints for certain you guarantee he's going to have the biggest drought in his entire career. You know, we're currently having that with Eamon Brophy. You know, it was about two and a half years ago, the guy was playing for Scotland and he said so many injuries since he's come to us, man. Like, I think we are kind of cursed sometimes when we take, you know, uh, promising young players. Um, so when, when Greg came to a club, I remember it was a pretty rough era. You know, like you said, he got relegated. We got relegated at the end of his um, kind of 18 months with the club. It was, a, it was a period when, after we'd won the League Cup in 2012, there was a lot of disarray. You know, Danny Lennon had left and we just had that merry go round the loads of managers coming in. And every single manager that would come in would bring about 25 players with them. And by January, that manager had been sacked and another 20 players would come in again. So Greg Weld came like, on mass almost with loads of other kind of bargain basement January signings. And I remember scoring a couple of good goals for us, but like it was such a rough era that I can't really remember him or anybody standing out with the exception of John McGinn. With St Mirren relegated to the Championship, Wilde's contract was not renewed, having made 44 league appearances, his second highest amount for any club, which may tell a story in and itself. In 2015, he moved south once more to join Plymouth Argyle, where he would in fact have two spells returning in 2017. Mixed fortunes would be the best way to describe his time in Devon, as Sam discussed with us, initially reflecting on Wilde having two spells with the Pilgrims. Yes, if once wasn't enough, um, he would... Uh, <laughs> he, he wasn't one of our worst ever players, like he probably was for Aberdeen, but he, he wasn't particularly good. He... um. His first season, he played fairly regularly. He played about 30, 40 times. We did actually have a relatively okay season. We came fifth in League Two and lost in the playoff final. Um, but he was probably probably the weakest, maybe second weakest or weakest regular starter in that team. He had a very good start to his career with us, actually. His opening game for us, he scored a fantastic goal and was involved in the other. And then I think he got another goal about a week or two later, but he very much tailed off after that good start. Uh, yeah, and obviously we started. Obviously, he actually left at the end of that season. We were quite surprised. We didn't really think he was all that good, but he went to play for Millwall, who were a league up. He did absolutely nothing for them. Got released and came back to us a year later. Um, the second spell, we were up in League One already by that point because we got promoted the year in between. Funnily enough, the only year Greg Wilde wasn't with us was the year we got promoted. So <laughs> he he came back to us the um the, the year after, and we were in League One. And 
I think Derek Adams, and funny enough, you all know your subject of Aberdeen and Rangers. That's a man with connections to both Aberdeen and Rangers, isn't it? Derek Adams was managing Argyle at that time. And he obviously seemed to really like Greg Wilde for whatever reason, and he brought him back. And yeah, when we were in League One, he offered nothing. Despite Sam's views of Wilde being one of the weaker members of the Plymouth starting eleven, he did indeed ascend the English Football League, joining Millwall in 2016. With the remarkable powers of his recollection, Nick talked to us about his memories of Millwall's new Scottish left winger. His contribution, don't remember any. After failing to establish himself in the Millwall side, Wilde soon found himself back out on loan, this time to Northampton Town. And with a small sample size to judge from, we will let Danny tell you about his impressions of Wilde at the Cobblers. I can't, I don't remember him living up to any kind of hype that I'd personally given him, as usual. Yeah, just, I think he sometimes played left wing black, sometimes played in a front three. He played for two managers because um, Rob Page got sacked after his second game which we lost 5-0 to Bristol Rovers, which I think was, yeah, I think his second game. And then he scored his only goal, I think, at MK, where we lost 5 So not the most positive of memories, got to say. As mentioned, Wilde was released by Millwall and found his way back to Plymouth, but after six months, Argyle loaned him out, with Wilde making the journey to Morecambe. Make no mistake, he was very happy to let his new fans know exactly where his loyalties lay, as we asked Joel whether he knew of Wilde's previous with Rangers. Yes, it seemed to be quite a large part of his background that he was very happy to advertise. Despite this, Wilde did in fact have a successful spell with the Shrimps, as Joel detailed to us his contributions in keeping Morecambe in League Two. To be honest, we were rubbish at the time, really rubbish, and we ended up staying up on goal difference. So it was a point, a case of every single point counted. He just he liked getting the ball, knocking it forward and running with it and then smacking something off his left foot. Sometimes it'll work out. And to be honest, he, he did the trick for us in a, on a few occasions. I think I remember he got a, a 90th minute equaliser against uh, Forest Green. And I remember there was, there was, a, there was a game against Wickham as well. And he had, a, he had a good game. He had a hand in a couple of goals. He scored a good solo goal. He set up a good assist. So not the most memorable player Morgan we've ever had. I think he did the trick, did what he was meant to do, got a got a few points that ended up proving to be vital just because of the situation that we were in. After returning to Plymouth from Morecambe, Wilde struggled for game time and after his contract was terminated, he found his way back to Scotland, this time finding a home at the Tony Macaroni with Livingston. Once more, his allegiances to Rangers were very apparent almost instantly via social media, as Liam mentioned to us when asked about whether he was aware of Wilde's past at Ibrox. Yeah, there was a lot of Union Jacks in the Livingston mentions on Twitter letting us know, good good luck, brother Bear and all that. His time with Libby was short, but Liam told of his most resounding memory of Wilde ironically coming against Rangers. Maybe you're picturing him beating his man as swinging in a cross for the striker to score. Maybe breaking the offside trap and slotting one past the keeper. Or maybe even a lung-bursting run to stop a goal for the opposition. Are you thinking anything like that? Because if you are, you're very, very wrong. Let Liam tell you all about his abiding memory of Greg Wilde in a Livy shirt. And then the highlight of his Livingston career was a two-minute sub-appearance against Rangers at Amundville. Rangers were 3-0 up, and when he came on, he was applauding the Rangers fans because they were winning, and he was a fellow bear and all that, and I was just like, from that day forward, I was like, I never want to see this guy. After only eight months, he was released from Livingston, and this would be the end of top flight football for Greg Wilde, as he next appeared at Clyde. 
after an impressive debut, a lack of football and impending COVID restrictions brought his Clyde career to a halt. Paul told us his thoughts. He had a good debut. Um, he, he came in and I don't think we, we had a, a kind of benchmark to go on because he, he played even less games for Livy than what he, he went on to obviously make for ourselves. He got released in September. He'd been a good couple of months without any football. It was very, very um, underwhelming, shall we say. Wilde then finally signed for East Stirlingshire in the Lowland League and Gregor told of his thoughts on their new signing with sentiments very much in keeping with the rest of his contemporaries on this segment. I mean, opening day of the season, if we left back, uh, we won one. We had a clean sheet, but I can't remember him doing anything in that game. Pretty much, he was just a, a 5 out of 10, really, every week. If that, like, nothing memorable. Very forgettable player. But the most important question of all is this. Did Greg Wilde's time at Rangers leave him open to greater scrutiny? If it didn't work out at Aberdeen for that very reason... And if we're being honest, he didn't really establish himself anywhere else in his career. Can we hypothesise that this would be the same reason why he had largely forgettable spells with Berry or Northampton? We asked all 10 guests for this segment the very same question. Was your view of Wilde prejudiced by the fact he'd previously played for Rangers? Not one bit, Your Honour. No. No, I don't think prejudice. I mean, we've definitely got a lot of strong opinions about Rangers. But I don't think, we've, we've never ever really had that sort of, oh, that guy used to play for Rangers, so he's automatically in the bad books. You know, if a guy comes in and does a job, I don't think we can really come. No, no, absolutely not. I, 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 as I say, I, I generally I generally tend to judge, the, the only thing that would kind of um, really bias me against a player uh, before they came, and if they'd been involved in some kind of incident that I, you know, that I didn't, that I didn't like, or if they'd done something in a, in a game against Argyle in the past that I didn't like, or in terms of the club they played for, no, that wouldn't excuse me. Um, that would absolutely not be any kind of hindrance whatsoever to a Mill's a mill player's career. Far from no, no, not in any way, shape, or form. No, not at all. I don't. I don't think it really would have re- registered on our Richter scale too much, other than saying, "Oh, cool, he used to play for Rangers." I hate Rangers a lot, mainly because of political reasons, which shouldn't come into football. But it's one of these things that. We had all these players come from Rangers, the youth set up, sign or come on loan. They were all brilliant. Loved them. <laughs> Couldn't give a fuck that they played for Rangers because they were doing the business for Livingston. It was his attitude and the way he sort of conducted himself. It just appeared as if he, he couldn't care less that he was playing for Livingston. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think overall it was just his severe lack of football and fitness that was instantly the, oh, oh crap, what have they done? Not many fans would care like what a player's done before. It's more about what they do when they're at the club, really. That concludes a whistle-stop tour of the career of one Greg Wilde. Does this answer the wider question of whether playing for Rangers hampered his career at Aberdeen? Or does it really provide more questions than answers? We are not here to tell you what to think, and we would never say that we are definitely right on any matter. Unless you're a Newcastle fan on Twitter telling us that Longstaff has been pissed in the SPL because Scottish football is in fact too much of a farmer's league for him. But when it comes to this notion, this myth, that ex-Rangers players get a hard time at Aberdeen, we point to Jim Bitt, to Ian Jess, to Barry Nicholson, Kenny McLean, through to the present day with Ross McCrory and David Bates. And we here at the ABZ Football Podcast would surmise that if you wear the red shirt with pride, 
If you apply yourself and you buy into the club, the support will have your back. We thank you for your time. And yes, this was all incredibly petty and very unnecessary. But in many ways, it was also incredibly petty and incredibly necessary. And after all, is that not what Scottish football is all about? It's the talk of the nation, it's the big wild conversation. So there we have it. Now you can draw your own conclusions from that. But the ABZFP view, well, for me, being an ex-Rangers player is not what held you back, Greg. Perhaps you need some self-reflection. Moving on. Sub-winger, Scott Muirhead came in as the sub-winger, which again, I think might be a little bit harsh and actually goes against our rule about no youth. Oh, Ricky Foster was on the bench in the in the fullback, so the clue ah, was not he a did. rule. I thought it was a rule. Oh well, there we go. Scott Muirhead completely unmemorable, as far as I can recall. Um, I remember him ripping a Brecon right back to shreds, and he got subbed on after fifteen minutes. But um, that's right. I, Dick Campbell was in charge of Brecon that night. I think wasn't he? He was. He was in charge of Brecon, and he was that sitting night. in the Brecon end. He wasn't even sitting in the dugout. I'm sure he was sitting in the Brecon. I think you're right. Was he suspended or was he just like some kind of like gesture of goodwill or whatever? Who knows? It's Dick Campbell. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Scott Muirhead ripped their right back to shreds. He got subbed off after like 15 minutes and Scott Mickey scored a goal. Jesus. <laughs> All happening. That's the greatest hits. Was Scott Morrison playing at left back? Probably. <laughs> There's a very good Probably. chance he was. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Scott Muirhead was not pretty great. Um, I would have probably had Fabiano. As my sub. Fabiano wasn't a winger, though. He was a centre midfielder. Was he? Yeah. Was he really? Tough tackling centre midfielder. Certainly was on his debut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just ask John Robotham. <laughs> oh, man. Fabiano. How did he not end up in this list? He was, a, no idea. He was a weird one, because up until he obviously got binned off on his debut, I, th- I thought he looked all right. Like, he, he was moving the ball around. He was not shirking away from the physical side. And then he really wasn't shirking away from the physical side and he got binned off and, and everyone went to hell. Did he come from PSG or have I imagined that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was PSG. Yeah. yeah. Obviously not Before quite. Before they had was, money. Yeah. Obviously not quite the, the sports washing powerhouse that they are now. Um, but still, you know, that's, that's a good pedigree. Tony Camboari managed PSG as well. So there's another link. I know. Do you think Fabiano's in the PSG Hall of Fame? <laughs> he should be in ours. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right next to Mbappe. <laughs> um, I remember he was one of like seemed like quite a lot of players at that time that we were linked with for the longest time, and then they arrived, and then they were just pish. Yeah. See Nicholas Fabiano. See Michael Bird. He was a Scovidal signing, wasn't he, Fabiano? Scovidal. Yeah, I think Scovidal resigned quite quickly afterwards. <laughs> well, now correlation is not causation, but you know, there we go. Ne- nevertheless, let's move on to the centre midfield area signed on 19th of june 2018 this man stephen gleason arrived as a full republic of ireland international signing from ipswich town on a free transfer with a boatload of experience in the english leagues with spells at wolves wolves keep on coming up in this don't they yep it's another one of those fucking problematic clubs for us mk dons and birmingham city meaning he had over 270 appearances under his belt at that level. And Derek McInnes, bless him, was effusive in his hopes for Stephen Gleeson, saying that he was, and I quote, exactly the type of player we wanted in that role. And following the news about Chris Forrester, 
a couple of weeks ago. I'm excited to see what these players can bring to the club. Spoiler alert, they brought fuck all to the club. Although Chris Forrester clearly had a whole host of extenuating circumstances. Gleason made his debut for Aberdeen starting on the opening day of the season in a feisty 1-1 draw against Rangers where Gleason was hooked after 55 minutes for Stevie May. Followed up by four consecutive starts before being subbed off after six minutes in a 2-0 home defeat to Kilmarnock after Mikey Devlin's third minute sending off. And that was basically it. A couple of sub appearances here and there came off the bench to help the Don see a famous 2-0 victory at Ibrox in a Scottish Cup quarter-final replay. I think most Aberdeen fans expected Gleeson to depart that summer. Uh, such was the lack of impact made by the Irishman, but he still stuck around for another six months like a fart in a spaceman suit, eventually departing on the 31st of January 2020, having made one sub-appearance that season, left making a total of 20 appearances in his time for Aberdeen, before eventually winging his way to Solihull Moors, Stephen Gleeson. I remember just as he signed, I think he, he was sold as something of this ball-playing midfielder, if I recall correctly. Maybe I'm mixing him up with someone else. I don't think I am. Um, but from his time at Birmingham and, and various other places, and I thought, great, this this will be nice because you know Derek McInnes's teams not always moving the ball around in the most attractive way imaginable. So this will be interesting to see how he fits in, and uh, you might as well have put an empty door frame in the middle of the park because I don't recall him ever having any kind of tangible influence uh, on any game. Everything seemed to pass him by. Maybe he just wasn't fit for the, the rigours and the intensity of Scottish football. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, a nothing player. Uh, didn't really leave any kind of lasting impression on me beyond that. Um, there are probably worse individuals you can pick out that, that played for us in centre midfield. But there's there's a lot of players on this poll who just... They're nothing. They're like unbuttered toast. They're just... They're bland. And uh, <laughs> Stephen Gleeson... <laughs> I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but uh, nothing on the football pitch. My memory of him is just that, you know, again, it's the same trap I fell into with Maweni, where you're thinking, okay, he's got like, what, 300-something-odd appearances down south. So he's clearly got, must have something about him. He's going to bring some experience. I was under the impression he had, like, a bit of bite about him. Kind of brought, like, a Barry Robson kind of quality, minus the technical ability. And gingerness. And then, and then the first game of the season was, you know, Rangers at home, and that's like, you know, the peak game for that kind of player. And he didn't lay a, he didn't get near any one of the Rangers midfielders that day. And that was pretty much the story of his time being here. And yeah, um, as Andy says, a nothing player. I would agree with the other selection. I would still not include Steven in this yeah. lineup, but that's perhaps pettiness or vindictiveness on my part playing, uh, coming, coming through there. Gleason wouldn't be here for me. I, the sub and we'll come on to him in a minute, would be my pick here. Because if you want to talk about nothing, this player, that's the fucking epitome of it. But let's move on to the other central midfielder in this one because it's just so astonishing. I don't even know where to begin with it. Um, signed from Manchester City. Yeah, really, Manchester City. Before they, you know, after, sorry, they had loads of fucking money. This wasn't when they were pish. This is when they were, were good. Uh, came in on loan, 10th of January, 2018. For the remainder of the 2017-18 season, it's Chidi Nkwale uh, arriving at Aberdeen with the sum total of 50 first-team appearances across three years' worth of loans. 
uh, Derek McInnes stating, and again, I quote, it's a deal we've been working on for a couple of months now. I'm delighted to welcome Chidi to the club. I am sure he will be a positive addition to our squad. Presumably not as like some fucking form of madcap comedian. Made his competitive debut for Aberdeen coming off the bench in the 3-1 home victory over Kamarnock on the 27th of January 2018. That's a game best remembered for Scott McKenna's thunder bastard after being challenged by Chris Boyd to hit it. Thanks, Chris. Made a first start in an away defeat at Hibs on the 17th of February before being hooked just after the hour mark. And despite a piss-poor performance there, stayed in the starting lineup for the following week's home defeat to Celtic, otherwise known as Sam Cosgrove's debut. Made another start in the home win against Dundee. And it's almost as though it's at this moment that the penny drops and the qualies left out of all of the next set of squads before suddenly reappearing like a phoenix from the ashes at, of all places, Hamden Park for a Scottish Cup semi-final against Millwall. And in fairness, the Dons were down to the bare bones for this one. Shinny McLean, Logan all missing out through suspension, meaning the quali started in the centre of the park alongside Anthony O'Connor with Dominic Ball at right back. Um, gents, your recollections, your thoughts on that particular cup semi-final. The quali lasted a whole 44 minutes before fucking off, never to be seen again. Andy's nearly just fallen off his seat there. Aye, sorry. I was trying to suppress a cough attack, which would have been horrendous audio. Um, <laughs> this guy has become something of a legend in my head, uh, Chidi, because I'm not convinced I've ever seen a, a minute of him play football because he arrived in a season where I wasn't, I'd just moved down south. Uh, and I was living in a house with no Sky or no BT. And uh, I wasn't really watching a lot of football. So he's just this kind of name that I've heard uh, spoken of in hushed tones for legendary, anonymous and bad performances that I don't think I can really comment on, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, he lives on, I guess. I remember that game so well. Not for good reasons, but I remember that semi-final so well. Um, I think... I don't know if, because I, I remember that game and Kenny McLean was suspended, as was Shinny and Logan. So we were restricted in terms of personnel. I personally refuse to believe that we didn't have anyone that could have done a job, a right back that would have let Dom Ball play midfield or someone else who could have played center midfield and do a better job. But uh, I remember just, we went 2 0 down and Chidi goes down injured. And I was just like, nah, you just don't fancy this. I, I, I'm 99.9% sure that's what happened. He just, you know, same oh, yeah. story as Matt Namara. Yeah. And it's it's astonishing when we talk to our guest next weekend, he tells us about what Chidi was like in training because uh, he was just, he was so pish. I just don't know what he did. I don't know what he was meant to bring to the team. He just, you know, he didn't tackle. He didn't pass. He didn't, he didn't do anything. Couldn't run with the, couldn't run with the ball. And, you know, he wasn't, it's not as though he was some kind of remnant of Man City having no money. And like, you know, to then going to being the richest club in the world, he was brought in, I think, by Pep Guardiola. I doubt he was brought in personally by Pep Guardiola. I mean, it... <laughs> well, with Pep Guardiola and the, the, the guy from Barcelona, who's the director, who I'm sure would have been involved. And you're just like, how does this happen? Um, not suited to Scottish football at all. And yeah, left, I mean, just an embarrassing performance that day all around. But he especially was just, I've got no words for it. I mean, I think he definitely deserves his place in this lineup. He's without a doubt, a shadow of a doubt, I would say the worst footballer I've ever seen play for Aberdeen Football Club. And I've seen a lot. I mean, I grew up in the point where, you know, 
Aberdeen's downward trajectory out of the 80s was just beginning. And I would like to suggest I've probably seen about as bad as it gets for Aberdeen Football Club. But I would put this guy absolutely in there as the worst player I've ever seen play for us. I mean, I know it's really like stereotypical to say this or like popular to say this, but I don't think it's hyperbole here. He genuinely looked like a competition winner. Like he'd just been given a bash. You might as well have the mascot have a go at centre midfield. It would have just been, you'd have had the same end result. And I think his career afterwards just says everything you need to say. You know, left Aberdeen with a total of eight appearances across all competitions. Um, To the surprise of no one, released by Man City at the end of his contract, went on a move to Rakow Czechstatova. That's probably not how you pronounce it, but fuck it. In Poland, where he made two appearances. Then he went to Kalmar in the Swedish top flight on a four-year deal. <laughs> Fuck me. Talk about seeing him. Talk about seeing those guys coming. Um, sacked by Kalmar the following February, having made no appearances. And then he moved to Turkey, made two appearances there. And he was last seen at two-wake club in the Saudi Arabian second division. And is now, according to transfermarket.co.uk, without a club, which doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, we can say what we want about like Greg Wilde and stuff. Greg Wilde was at least able to con another nine clubs <laughs> after Aberdeen out of contracts. You know, this guy, Jesus Christ. I mean, I just, as you say, Gav, I refuse to believe that we had nobody, nobody else available. I mean, Derek McInnes could have just pulled his boots on as a trialist at set midfield or, you know, anything would have been better than this guy in a Scottish Cup semi-final unfathomably bad cheating and quality. But I still think that the other selection, Stephen Gleason, is wrong. The sub centre midfielder, according to the poll, was Gary McDonald, who I actually absolutely agree should have been in here. As we nicknamed him Casper the Ghost, because he was just, just did fucking nothing. I want it to be remembered that the manager um, in Gary McDonald's second season considered him for the captaincy. Oh, Christ, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. The least influential player in I, I can certainly remember in terms of imposing themselves on a game. Uh, in all the years I've been watching Aberdeen, Gary McDonald, just a, a dark age of central midfielders, and he was grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, like some of the other options, like for sheer patter purposes, I would probably stick Nigel Pepper in. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, you, you can't write a better script than the, the sending off within the first few minutes, <laughs> the comeback, and then the 17 seconds. It's just absurd. <laughs> just absurd. Nigel Pepper, though, played in a York City team that won at Old Trafford. What? <laughs> in a League Cup third round tie, I think, as I remember. Jesus. So, I don't know. I mean, does that count in his credit? Maybe. I don't know. But look at some of the people that Gary McDonald edged out to get on the bench. Like Mark Kerr, who who was the captain of the football club for a while, his name, you know how in the captain's club we've got the all the pe- all the people who've captained Aberdeen all inscribed on the bit of granite. Like Mark Kerr's fucking name is there Aye. forevermore. Christ, Mark Kerr, that must be was he followed up by Richard Foster? Yeah, he would have been. Oh, he God. would have been. To think you could have had Gary McDonald in that lineage as well. I know, I know. <laughs> Stephen Hughes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll be better against that because that's an ex-Rangers player, so that'll undermine. 
<laughs> um, Nigel Pepper. Andreas Meyer ended up on this list, and I feel I, I don't think Meyer deserves to be anywhere near this. And so did Fabiano. Fabiano, for pure hilarity purposes, doesn't deserve to be anywhere near this list either. There's much worse center midfielders there, but I would have had McDonald in ahead of Gleason, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. Can't yeah. argue that. Yeah. Talk about a tough tackle in center midfield. Gary McDonald and Cheating Glove. <laughs> Jesus. Let's move on to the attack in inverted commas. Uh, <laughs> Nicky Maynard, 43.9% of the vote, arriving on a free transfer 7th of July 2017 after being released by the other dons of the Milton Keynes variety. I enjoy doing the Derek McInnes quotes because I always think that they look really, really funny in retrospect. Um, McInnes was effusive as Maynard was given the number 10 jersey stating, I was keen to add more goal threat. And I'm sure that Nicky will give us that. Now let's, we'll come on to stats in a minute. I guess most Aberdeen fans were probably a bit intrigued to see how Maynard would do when he came in. He, he got here with a good pedigree. Uh, he played for Bristol City under McInnes, uh, West Ham United, and Cardiff City amassing some fairly significant transfer fees along the way. Came off the bench six days after signing in the Europa League qualifier against Sikori Briege before a start arrived in the next round at home against Apollon Limassol. I mean, I'll be honest, I um, my son was born around the start of 2017, uh, the 2017 season. So I didn't get to a lot of games in that opening part of that season. I can't remember a thing about Maynard other than any time I watched him, uh, he never looked to me like he was interested in being here. Never once looked like scoring. So it probably comes as no surprise that he left the following summer having made 25 appearances. Four as a starter, so we'll mitigate that a little bit there and left without any goals. So that was that goal threat Derek was on about. Um, joined Burry the following season before having spells at Mansfield Town, Newport County, and he's at Tramier Rovers just now. But he seems to perform better, so maybe it's a levels thing. I don't know. Amazingly decided to have a pop at Derek McInnes in the media after he left. Does anyone want to venture anything about Nicky Maynard? Nicky Maynard is one of my most irrational footballing hatreds. Uh, yes. And it's uh, precisely for that reason, because he had that pop at McInnes. And I, I, I think he said something like, his, my goals to games ratio is good to everywhere I've been, and I need a manager who can, who can have faith in me. And obviously the ideal scenario, and that's someone who's departed your club and they're saying these bitter things, the ideal scenario is that they then go somewhere else and they score two goals in 40 or whatever. But this guy went to Bury and banged in someone like 20 goals the next season. And I was like, you prick. <laughs> it was the, the pettiest little thing in the world. Uh, really, like, as a stupid tribal footballing fan thing, I really wanted this guy to fail after that. But... I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but you know, it is football. But like, you know, maybe if he, what, what did he start? Something like two games in total? I don't know. I don't know. Four. Four. I think it was 40, 40 There start. we go. So it's like, I'm sure someone could, Nicky Maynard mainly, could make the argument that maybe he should have had uh, more shots. But I don't think anything he did on the park warranted that. And no, I suppose the kind thing to say about this guy was that I, I believe earlier in his career he had a really bad ACL injury uh, messed himself up, was out for a long time and maybe that robbed him of, of certain physical attributes and his ability to, to put himself about the park but just uh, used like a really blunt forward no goal threat and I he's a prick for <laughs> almost proving himself right with those, those closing words 
to be fair, you weren't a Derek McInnes signing for a while unless you'd done your ACL at some point. That's true. I did hear somebody talk about Maynard the other day. I saw a tweet about it that, and this probably does sum him up. He was driving up King Street past the Pataudry Bar at 10 to 3 on a match day. And he was on the bench that afternoon. So maybe that sums up everything. I mean, the thing for me with, the, with these things always is, look, like, if you were doing it in training, because at the time we weren't exactly a free-scoring outfit, if you were doing it in training, there's a chance the gaffer would give you a run, which makes me go, I don't think you were actually bothering your arse even in training to, to give the manager something to think about. I'm just reminding myself who we had up front at that time. I mean, it would have been what? So Rooney's still here. May. Uh, Christ. Uh, well, kind of. Greg Stewart. Uh, Cosgrove had arrived in January. Greg Stewart, okay. It was like Pesh Cosgrove at that point. It was extremely Aye, Pish. It was current day Pish Cosgrove. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking with Maynard that, you know, he'd had a good spell at Bristol City earlier in his career, and that's one of a couple of big transfers. And then he's kind of fallen away. I mean, you know, you look at it, he's not, doesn't it double figures for God knows how many seasons before he ends up at Aberdeen. But you're thinking, Derek McInnes knows him. We've got some kind of relationship. If we can get something going with him, then he's a good striking option for us. And truthfully, I just don't remember anything about him. I don't remember ever playing for Aberdeen, like even starting or looking like he was ever going to score a goal. I think he, maybe one thing comes to mind where he should have scored a sitter and he just didn't. Um, yeah, a very, very unremarkable player. And again, same story as before, maybe a guy that just didn't want to be here really, if truth be told. And uh, as Andy said, incredibly frustrating when you go and see that he's had a pretty... I mean, it's League Two, but he's had, you know, a profitable time at Berry and, and then Mansfield Town after that. But uh, hey, nevertheless. Not that profitable for Berry, though, as it turns out. Hi, poor, poor club, man. <laughs> exactly. I mean, maybe... Oh, was... yeah. He... Oh, yeah. Did he not like, go back on his, like, like still like, sign a deal or like, go back on his words or something like that? Well, I don't know. I just seemed in the way out of business, didn't they? Maybe it was Nicky Maynard's extortionate wages. That, 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 I that, seem that, to remember there was something about that. Was there? Who knows? Poor bastards. I mean, honestly, we, we spoke to Peter actually earlier on about the Berry stuff, and it's just ridiculous what happened to that football ah, club. It's so, brutal. Um, absolute terrible stuff. But let's move on to the other striker. Um, <laughs> this guy. This fucking guy. Tommy Wright. 38.2% of the vote here. Um, for me, I think this is always the best example available as to why it was time for Jimmy Caldwell to move on. Uh, brought through the youth setup at Leicester City. Subsequently released and via spells at Barnsley and Darlington. Wright was signed on the 8th of August from the Quakers by Caldwood for £100,000 on a three-year contract. Wright was hailed by Caldwood as being one to watch and a real steal. Uh, <laughs> despite having had no preseason under his belt, the footballer come bouncer, Tommy Wright, made the bench for the Dons' first away day of the season at Fir Park, and after a pretty enthusiastic warm-up, was brought on to replace Lee Miller for the final 20 minutes. And it was quite a 20 minutes on the park. Do either of you gentlemen remember this one? I wasn't there, but I remember hearing all about oh, it. Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> All-time favourite short appearance from an Aberdeen player. To refresh anyone's memory, he nearly scores with his first touch. As a header cleared off the line, I think. Um, and then he engaged in a running battle with Stephen Cragen. Lucky not to be sent off because he headbutts Cragen. And then he halved Stephen Hamill on the touchline, which was on the touchline side at Fair Park where this, the main stand only runs like three quarters of the line. It was, he basically ran him into a brick yeah. wall. 
um, which he got a booking for that should probably have been a red. It was basically like actual bodily assault. I scythed him like. <laughs> yeah. um, the absolute proverbial headless chicken. A handful of substitute appearances followed before a first full debut at home against Dundee United, uh, which went from bad to worse for the big man because he rose to meet a Craig Conway corner and decided to swat the ball away like he was in the NBA. And yet yeah, still managed to look like, you know, what the fuck, ref, when the referee gave a penalty kick. And even I had to admit that was a penalty kick for Dundee United. Hard to really talk about Tommy Wright, to be honest, with a straight face. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, uh, the the typical big lump up front. And the, the thing I liked, <laughs> I appreciate most about him after that game where he, where he headbutts Stephen Craig and he referred to that in the press as a bit of handbags. <laughs> <laughs> you headbutted a man and you almost killed another man on the halfway line. Like, what are you talking about? I believe he said something like, they oh, got a lot of coverage, of course. And I believe he, he said something like, I'm not going to change the way I play because I've always been a physical player. And that's why you bring me to your club and all of this stuff. And he kind of enabled a lot of the proper football men in our support who when he wasn't getting games, understandably so, because he was pish, we're sitting there going, get big Tommy on, he really sticks the heat into the Vidalis. And you, you backtrack to, to appearances like that and you think, what, what are you seeing here? Is it just because he's a bit aggressive? Because he's a bit nuts? Like he's going to offer something up front? <laughs> I think he was, uh, when, when he did this interview as well, he had a really strange quote about how he's not going to be intimidated by opposing players, as if he was the one that needed to be scared. But he said um, something along the lines of, if I ever showed intimidation, my dad would give me a slap. And I was like, now at 23 years old, what he was when he signed with us, you'd imagine that his mentality shifted a bit throughout his career, but I think that kind of goes some way to explaining his general philosophy on the pitch. He was, I, I mean, for me, he's a cult favourite of mine because of, Games like that, Motherwell game, but just what a catastrophe of a signing, honest to God. For me, he earns his place in this 11 for sure. I mean, his dad must be an absolute fucking lunatic. Oh, Christ. And do you know the funniest thing about Tommy Wright is that the guy, uh, maybe he's qualified now, but the last time I heard of him was a few months ago. He's a trainee police officer, this guy, (laughs) (laughs) which is quite ironic considering some of the crimes he committed on the pitch. What a boy. (laughs) Oh, man. Gav, Tommy uh, Wright. Well, I mean, there's a whole conversation we had about that revelation, <laughs> but we'll save that for another day. <laughs> My memory of him is his final appearance for Aberdeen. I'm pretty sure it was his final appearance. Mark McGee was manager. I think we were getting beat 1-0 by, let's just say... Somebody. I want to say Hamilton, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, because getting beat when Mark McGee was manager is what Aberdeen did best. And, you know, it's like one of the situations, the left-backs got the ball in, like, their kind of final third and you're just thinking all you need to do is just get pressure him make him play try and get a throw in out of this and he's just a fucking idiot and he's fucking two foots the guy <laughs> i remember mark mcgee going fucking ballistic on the on the touchline and i'm pretty sure that was the last i think i think mark mcgee like basically just told him off or after the game turned up the tunnel and that was it um for me fully deserving of his place in this team and for my money, the worst signing in the history of Aberdeen Football Club <laughs> still to present day. You have to consider 
a hundred thousand pounds at a time we were not yeah. spending a fucking dime on this cart horse off the back of the European money. And Jimmy Caldwell went out and signed this guy, a fucking bouncer, not a football player. I, I think it's honestly probably the only sensible move that Mark McGee made in his entire time in charge of Aberdeen was to terminate Wright's contract with 18 months remaining on it. The guy left Aberdeen with a grand total of two goals and 22 appearances. So that's 50 grand a goal, if you want to count that. Um, after leaving Aberdeen, it didn't really get any better for him. He joined Grimsby Town before then embarking on a tour of the lower echelons of English football with likes of Darlington, Kidderminster Harriers, Luton Town, Forest Green Rovers when they were a non-league outfit, Tamworth, Harrogate Town. i got to say, I can't imagine Tommy Wright going for the vegan pies. <laughs> There's no danger with that, is there? Corby Town finished his career with Nuneaton, and as Andy said, uh, the last we saw of Tommy Wright is he's a trainee police officer. It's <laughs> quite a change of pace. I don't think I want to be pulled over <laughs> by Tommy Wright on a quiet Monday evening in a country lane for speeding, do you? Absolutely not. <laughs> he just, he'll shove you in a ditch and call it a bit of handbags. That's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tommy Wright, man, honestly. Oh, mate. I just think that debut was just like, if you want to if you want to do a showreel of Tommy Wright, just that 20 minutes is all you need. Absolutely. That's, that's literally it. Sub-striker, Andres Velichka. Uh, now, he beats out Michael Bird. Now, Michael Bird didn't even make a first-team appearance for Aberdeen, I don't think, so... Uh, he, he made one or two. Did he? Uh, Lauren Jaffo, Lauren Jaffo, I loved because he scored a goal against, I think it was Simpson. <laughs> yes. It was done firmly, I think. Furman, where he, he lashed a ball <laughs> in the top corner <laughs> and then in one in the same move, just collapsed in a heap, having pulled his hammy and off, <laughs> off the pitch he went. Oh, man. Oh, Christ. Our only Benin international, though. So, you know, I think he doesn't deserve to be in the... He doesn't deserve to be in the worst 11 for that goal and for the Benin thing. Uh, Josh Parker, Jesus Christ. Calvin Zola. Calvin Zola will be the subject of an up-and-coming segment, it's fair to say. And Lee Hines. I feel a bit sorry for Lee Hines because he was a guy that was brought in at a time we were just saying, like, mince meat from the lower (laughs) leagues. And he did okay, in fairness to him. A guy that tried his best every game, scored some goals for us. Um, Not his fault that the manager at the time decided that launching the ball up to him when he had Marvin Andrews flying over him was a good idea. (laughs) Absolutely. Anthony Svilichka, though, I think probably deserves his place on the bench. Purely for the story I heard about the fact that when he was here, he once told Archie Knox in training, when they were doing a training drill, that he couldn't do this drill because he could only run in straight lines. (laughs) Christ. <laughs> I would love to have seen Archie Knox's reaction to that one. I think, to, to be fair, Velichka should be in the team. I'd have him ahead of Maynard because I can understand the logic of the Maynard signing <laughs> of taking a punt on someone who's done well down south. I cannot, for the life of me, work out why we decided to swap our only fullback <laughs> at the time for an effectively crippled Rangers striker who... <laughs> had no knees and as mentioned just could not run you know in a circle <laughs> leaving us to play Rory McArdle and someone else at left back Dead away from probably. <laughs> should have given him a go up front I feel like we need to move on to the coaching staff for this 11 this was never going to be a thing 
but I decided, fuck it, I think we have to do it. A, a worse 11 has to have a coaching staff. For manager, is this is this questionable? I'm seeing shaky heads. It's such an easy pick. I mean, there are other names that you could go maybe, but when you think about it, there's. You, I mean, you don't need to think about it. It's, it's this guy. It's this guy. Gav? Yeah, I think there are other contenders, but I think they had far more mitigating circumstances working against them uh, in comparison to our uh, incumbent. Okay, let's hit it. So the manager of your worst on 11 is, it's Mark McGee, an undisputed legend of the club following his playing career at Aberdeen. McGee made his triumphant return to Aberdeen in the summer of 2009 to replace Jimmy Caldwell. McGee, the popular appointment at the time, having transformed Motherwell into an attractive, easy-on-the-eye outfit who performed well above their station during his spell in charge. And after a protracted period of negotiations, McGee was presented to the public on the 12th of June 2009 as the new manager of Aberdeen Football Club. And at his unveiling, things instantly unravelled for Dingus after he revealed publicly that the Celtic job was the one that he really wanted after all. And what followed was an unmitigated disaster of a spell. McGee overseeing the Don's heaviest European defeat with an 8-1 aggregate defeat to Sigma Olomouc, setting the scene for a season of struggle, culminating in a Scottish Cup fifth-round replay defeat to Wraith Rovers at Pittodrie, where McGee also claimed to have been spat on by Aberdeen fans, allegations that I think I'm right in saying were never proven. Amazingly, the Aberdeen board decided to stick with him the following season, and that goes from bad to worse. A 9-0 defeat at Celtic Park is hailed by McGee as being only three points, leaving the Dons fans travelling to Ibrox a week later in fear of the ultimate humiliation. Amazingly, we get out of Dodge with only a 2-0 defeat, but the writing's on the wall. A 2-0 defeat at Kilmarnock for a sixth defeat in succession, and with the Dons sitting second bottom of the table and goal difference alone, McGee's relieved of his duties on the 1st of December 2010 with a win percentage of a sparkling 27% from 62 games in charge. Gents, Mark McGee as manager, what is there to say? The dirt worst. I mean, you, you literally, there's no way, aside of getting arrested or, some, or something, there's no worse way to start a managerial tenure than by in your first press conference or whatever, sitting there and going, ah, I didn't want this job, but you know, it'll do. It's going to pay me. Like, that Celtic comment set him up from day one. And it's like, there was a time for a while before I was smarter um, when I thought, you know, what's happened to Mark McGee in, in terms of his legacy at Aberdeen is actually quite sad because uh, as a player, he's he, he's a legend and, and part of famous side and, and everything else. And there was always a reverence for him. You know, my old man, uh, always wanted to see Mark McGee get a crack of Aberdeen as a coach when he was at Brighton and elsewhere because this is a nice story. The, the former great comes in and is good as a manager as well. But now there's a generation of Aberdeen fans who only know him for marching up the stand in that video <laughs> <laughs> and losing his rag in that 7-2 game, which is a, just an, uh, one of the greatest clips, obviously, in Scottish football history. But yeah, he was... Uh, uh, you know, a, a dour bastard whose personality was reflective of his style of football. It, it was just pish. And when you when you put it all together, there's no way that you can consider he's not the worst manager we've ever had. 
I think it speaks volumes the fact that he's his Motherwell team got pumped seven two at Pataudry, and it's not even nearly his worst <laughs> defeat in the SPL. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I don't want to be the one putting words in people's mouths, but this again is why democracy does not work. Because if if it's the fans' choice, <laughs> go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really fair comment. Patterson and McGee, and if fans were let, allowed to do it, Derek Az would have been manager instead of Derek McInnes. And that just doesn't bear thinking about. Um, just an appallingly arrogant man with little to no managerial record to ever back up. I never wanted him at Aberdeen because I felt his managerial record showed that at best he was average. And at his worst, he was Sigma Olimic to 9-0 versus Celtic. That's... Um, no eye for a player. No, the football was shite. And yeah, his his it's. I can't think of any player in history where their legacy has been so completely removed in the way that Mark McGee's has at Aberdeen. Had a good eye for an app, though, eh? Let <laughs> <laughs> me develop that fucking stupid app, which was basically words with friends, but not really. <laughs> it's ironic. The very fact that he's then come out subsequently and said that the 9-0 defeat would have been worse had it not been for his managerial skills <laughs> I know. I know. just shows just how much of a fucking idiot he is. <laughs> I think, you know, my favourite part about that video from when he got sent to Stamford Motherwell was, was when he asked the police officer if this was allowed. Like, as though, like, somebody using their phone was against the law. <laughs> that was my favourite bit when he was so fucking rattled by it all. And it's just like, Mark, mate, like, What's going on, mate? Like, what what's happened to you? You should be revered here. I, I still don't understand. For a guy who was here through his, you know, in his playing career, I don't understand what was going through his head to sit in that opening press conference and go, all right, well, I guess I'm here now, eh? That was the job I really wanted. Like, you know, I mean, like, it's not like it's some guy coming from, you know, abroad or even from England who doesn't maybe really get it, you know, doesn't understand it. And it's a bit of a slip of the tongue type thing. It's like, it's a guy who should know better. A mate of mine at work who's not an Aberdeen fan, he said to me that, you know, the problem there is people say that they want their managers or their people in football to be truthful. And then when they are truthful, you just, you don't, you know, you can't handle it. And I'm just like, well, (laughs) there's maybe an element of that, but you've also got to be diplomatic as a person in what you say. And if Mark McGee, at whatever age he was, having been around the block, can't figure out that as the first conference as Aberdeen manager, the thing not to say is, I want to be Celtic manager. (laughs) <laughs> Ross McCrory was what 21, 22 when he signed for Aberdeen and he got asked about Rangers and his first thing he said was I'm not here to talk about Rangers I'm here to talk about Aberdeen so it's not hard I mean the only way that Ross McCrory could have got more points there would be go Rangers mate they're deed aye <laughs> <laughs> but again I think it just shows the absolute arrogance of the man and, it's just, and that was the one thing that and the, the atmosphere at the club when he was here him his coaching staff yeah a dark dark day and I'm Utterly convinced that had he stayed for another month, we would have been relegated that season. Yeah, I don't doubt that for a minute. But hey, every manager needs a good assistant manager, don't they? Well, I mean, he had one. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not the guy who's made this poll. The assistant manager is Alex Miller. Get in. (laughs) Alex fucking Miller. Bizarrely selected by an Aberdeen board showing absolutely no understanding of their fan base whatsoever. A manager well-renowned for his dour character and teams built in that image. He'd been hounded out of the Hibs job in September 1996 with a win percentage of just 34.07% over a 10-year spell in charge of Hibs. Don't say we don't look at the stats on this podcast. A brief sojourn as assistant manager to Gordon Strachan at Coventry, 
before the Aberdeen board take a complete leave of all their mental faculties and on the 21st of <laughs> November 1997 appoint Miller as the new manager to take charge following the departure of Roy Aitken. Now, I, I can only presume that the, the team decided to sort themselves out and they scraped their way up the table, eventually finishing in sixth spot that season. Um, and the new campaign started quite well. Uh, new signings Craig Hignett and Ian Jess linking well as the Dons start the season with three straight wins, including a hugely entertaining 3-2 win over Celtic at Pathology with that classic Reggie Blinker own goal. And then the wheels fall off. Uh, the Dons win only one more game up to the 5th of December and following a 4-0 defeat at Kilmarnock, Miller's given the boot. It's Kilmarnock again, by the way. Rugby Park is a graveyard for players and managers of Aberdeen Football Club. Miller's given the heave-ho. 12 months into his time, a record of just 11 wins in 41 games. 27% win record. The exact same as Mark McGee. Alex Miller's greatest contribution to Aberdeen Football Club remains crocking himself in the build-up to Gordon Strachan's goal in the 1982 Scottish Cup final. Gab, I fancy you might be a bit too young for this one. I was actually going to say, I, I would have been nine when he was appointed, so I was been 10 for the most part he was here. And I do remember, even though I was maybe not having the most sophisticated views on football, recognising that we were playing an incredibly negative <laughs> style of football and thinking, how could that have been possible to my 10-year-old brain? But it was always there, apart from that opening maybe two games of that new season when we beat Dundee 2-0 in the first game. Yeah. Like Jeff scores the first goal of the, the SPL. Yeah. And then we were there. I remember being in the Richard Donald stand behind the, the goal when Leighton saved or Celtic missed two penalties. And Willie Young then just gave one for no apparent reason. And eventually they decided that they should maybe give the penalties to Henrik Larson. So good job, whoever the Celtic manager was that day. Um, and we were brilliant that day. But um, yeah, things just then got progressively worse. And no surprise to learn that uh, the win record was that bad. Yeah, Alex Miller is, for me, kind of a symbol, for better or worse, of the club's kind of decline towards the really, really dark years. Because um, he'd have been appointed, I'd have been 10 or 11 when I was appointed, and much the same, not really able to have the most uh, nuanced views on, on, on football. But it was a turning point and everything else. It's not like we suddenly switched a button and, you know, we were, uh, we were going from Alex Ferguson to glory days and all this. Obviously, like a decade had passed and whatever. But the, the the fact that this guy went on to have like a relatively successful career at clubs like Liverpool after this, it's oh, God, bewildering, yeah. bewildering to me even to this day. It was um, a little bit before I started going to games regularly because I lived out in Aberdeenshire and Royal Deeside. Long trek when you're 10 years old <laughs> to go watch Alec Miller. Um but he's he's someone I've never been able to judge objectively for the reasons I've just put out there. Um, yeah, uh, the horrendous kind of albatross on my fandom that I would rather didn't exist. So, <laughs> bear in mind as well, we didn't even touch on it there in 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 the segment. Alex Miller was a guy that decided that it was a good idea to give Dundee cash and Billy Dodds to get Robbie Winters. Now. Robbie Winters was a decent player for Aberdeen in the long run. Um, I think that his time at Aberdeen was probably unfairly judged to begin with because he came in. Well, because of all that that went on, you know. I think we paid United like 800 grand and Billy Dodds. I mean, in reality, that probably makes that deal worth about, I don't know, like 2 million at the time or something. Dodds was a better player than Winters at the time. You know, everyone will talk about Paul Bernard. For me, this is the biggest, the highest transfer fee we ever paid. 
and it's just fucking mental that a manager would decide that that's a sensible thing to do. The worst thing about this is I knew about this move happening for about a fortnight before it happened. And I'm probably not going to be giving away too many, you know, too many secrets here, but it's fair to say that uh, Billy Dawes was quite close pals with a cousin of ours at the time. And basically Miller just fucking hated him. Didn't want him anywhere near the squad, didn't want him anywhere near, and decided that they were going to get rid of him as soon as they could. And for some reason, we got our pants pulled down by Dundee United, who were willing to take Dodds, but on the basis of, well, you need to pay us 800 grand and Billy, and we'll give you Robbie Winters in exchange. <laughs> madness. Absolute madness. I mean, imagine what kind of strike force actually Winters and Dodds would have been together with Jess playing in behind them. Would have been a fantastic trio up, up top. Just one of the most mind-bendingly odd transfer decisions in the, the history of our football club. Yeah, without question. And like... It is, it is harsh on, on Robbie Winters because you know, he went on, uh, he had a relatively, he had a fine career at Aberdeen after yeah. removed from all of this stuff and was there for a long time. And it's, but it's things like this and then having to go in goals in the in the cup final when poor old Jim Layton got his teeth kicked in or what was left of him uh, by Rod Wallace. Uh, it's stuff like that. The poor guy has one of the most unfairly maligned uh, Aberdeen legacies Maybe ever, um, as far as a player who came in and was just generally all right. But one of the most bewildering uh, transfer decisions ever. Paul Bernard, you know, a million pounds is a lot of money. But yeah, he had spells, injuries, whatever else. Just for that alone, I mean, how can you have anyone other than Alec Miller as the as the assistant manager? You can't. We haven't even talked about Mike No. Oh Christ. No, we haven't, and and we don't need to either. That wraps up your ABZFP worst dons eleven. Let's just run through it one more time for you. One through eleven: Bertie Bossu in goals, Greg Halford, Jackie McNamara, Yuma Maweni, Dave Booth, Greg Wild, Jeff Monacana, Stephen Gleeson, Chidi Nkwale, Nicky Maynard, and Tommy Wright. Where's that team finishing in the league? Which league? <laughs> Conference League North. Bottom. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I mean, are we talking the disciplinary table? Because <laughs> <laughs> if we've got Nigel Pepper coming off the bench, you know. <laughs> oh, man, it's all happening. Listen, we'd like to thank all of the ABZFP listeners and followers on social media for voting in that one. If we've got that wrong, don't bother letting us know. We don't care. We're not going to do it again. It's the end of year list. We'll maybe come back and do it again next year. Who knows? And anyway... That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, and whatever on your podcast player of choice. Andy Murray, would like to thank you very much for joining us on today's episode and for sticking with us to go through that worst Dons 11. Thank you for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to some of the worst footballers I've ever spent hundreds of pounds every year watching live in the flesh. All good. Have a good Christmas, mate, and a, a very, very, very happy year when it comes. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll get a chance to speak to you next year again. And everyone else would like to join us next week for episode 23, where we will preview our doubleheader against Hibs and Dundee in the SPFL Premiership as we rapidly move towards the winter break. We'll have our usual look at the young team and loan watch before we round things off with the latest in our line of exclusive, in-depth interviews with Don's personalities of past and present with a man who made 65 appearances for Aberdeen over two spells with Don's scoring six goals in the process, including one thunder bastard at Tanadice. It's the one and the only Carrie Arneson. We look forward to seeing you then. 
stand free. This episode of the APZ Football Podcast was brought to you by Maritime Developments Limited, Flexley engineering experts for the global energy sectors. MDL's rental fleet raises the bar for innovative design, technical performance and reliability. The market-leading equipment is backed by in-house expertise in design, engineering and offshore operations, which makes them the safest choice for project success. Get in touch at maritimedevelopments.com to find out how they can help you secure that competitive advantage.